0: Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man, who are all these people,
1: man? They're all part of the DC, who's who? Ultra mm-hmm. Boy and Mister Gold, Lightning, Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom, Stranger, Fitcher, and
0: Arisia and Woozy Weeks. Hey, hey, hey. What?
1: What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello. And welcome to the sixth episode of Who's Who in the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy?
0: The first entry is Adam Strange, drawn by Andy Kubert, Isn't he first. Is
1: this a response to our four-hour episode last time?
0: <laughs> I'm just trying to trim the fat as best I can. So. <laughs> let's 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 eliminate all the chit chat. Everybody knows who we are. I have nothing nice to say to you. You have nothing nice say to me let's just get to the
1: entries all right (laughs) well there are a few things we have to talk about though rob we've got to talk about the fact that who's who is now on comiXology oh my
0: gosh that is amazing that I never would have thought Uh, that was that was as, as likely
1: as an Aquaman movie Right, and I mean, that's never going to happen, right? I mean, come on. So yeah, the first six issues are out on Comixology right now, folks. Now, I tried to – I searched all – I scavenged all over Amazon because sometimes they'll do advanced listings to figure out when more are coming. I can't figure it out yet. But at least six of them are out there. This is – Rob and I, we're taking all full credit for this, by the way. Absolutely. We haven't actually gotten a letter from comiXology or dc saying that but i mean come on really we're just you know accepting that as you know as a truth but um the thing that really also gets us excited is could this be a precursor to a collected edition Because, you know, anytime they print a collected edition, what they have to do is they have to clean it up first. They have to scan in the pages, you know, get it clean, get it recolored, do all this stuff to make it look pretty before they can do a printed edition. Well, by doing so, you create a digital version. So, I don't know. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that would be absolutely amazing.
0: I think it was our Who's That Captain Fear episode that really did it. They were like, we really want to get this one out there digitally and we have to contrive a reason. So, let's just say it's the first six issues. That includes Captain Fear.
1: It was the straw that broke the camel's back. I That's think true. you're right. That, that is. Now we have heard from a couple folks. Interesting. I mean, some of our, some of y'all are amazing. You know, we talk about feedback later on in the episode, but we got some feedback specifically about this. Robert Markham let us know that apparently there's some miscoloring on a couple of entries, like Bouncing Boy and Captain Marvel, a little bit. Brainiac Five entry has a little bit of trouble there. Surprisingly, and <laughs> I know what Rob's gonna say, uh, the Doctor Light entry for Arthur Light, Doctor Light One, is completely missing.
0: <laughs>
1: Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Someone did. Like Identity Crisis um, <laughs> And our buddy Zoom Yukinori also let us know That a couple of the serpents look a little washed out uh, Which does happen I've saw that; i seen that happen on some Firestorm comicsology issues where like the floating Professor Steinhead You know that's a serpent Kind of gets washed out a little bit too It happens, but either way um, That's so exciting, I, I can't believe this And we're going to be tracking this very closely So can't wait to find more
0: And if they do a printed collection They really do need to just slot in Zoom's Editions at the end of
1: the book Oh, absolutely! I mean, if they don't, then maybe we need to go on like I don't know Redbubble or something and like sell these things, you know, on the right kind of paper and the right size and everything, get it out there for everybody, and not a, not for a profit, but just to make sure it gets in people's hands.
0: Oh no, for profit, absolutely for a profit. <laughs> uh, I, I posted Zoom's listing, his custom listing for Topo, on, oh, on the Aquaman Shrine Twitter feed, and there was a bunch of people that are like, "What issue is this? I can't find it." And then somebody had to go in and go. This is a custom job. So we all knew how good they were, but I mean, there's the proof that people that didn't know any better literally thought this was a real, those were realistics.
1: Well, that is a tribute to Zoom, certainly. Absolutely. Since we're talking about collected editions, why don't we take a quick second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Who's Who podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob?
0: Well, thanks to our cover star uh, this month is Hawkman. I am selecting the Hawkman Companion, which was a two-mars book written by our pal, Doug Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it features a cover by Cliff Chang. It's really beautiful. And just basically is the history of the Hawkman character from the Golden Age up until to the point where the book was written. It's 208 pages. A normal price is 24 and 95 In stock trades price is $14.97. That's 40% off. I am suggesting this because it is a great book Doug did a great job not because I mentioned in it in any way
1: um, <laughs> really th- yes okay.
0: fun fact Hawkman has been rebooted three times since I started
1: this plug <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. (laughs) Well, I have uh, my collected edition is not the title character because that's Hawkman. And um, but what I did find was a entry about sort of related to Dolphin who's in this entry in this book. It is Aquaman by Peter David trade paperback volume one. So um, Dolphin, who's in the Aquaman book and Aquaman has a movie that, oh, wait, at least at this recording is about to break a billion dollars. (laughs)
0: What? (laughs) The most successful DCEU movie so far.
1: Insane. So anyway, uh, Aquaman by Peter David Trade paperback Volume 1. This thing's great. I just reread all of these issues recently. Uh, It's Aquaman Time and Tide 1 through 4, which is the first miniseries by Peter David. Then Aquaman number 0 through 8. So you're getting, what is that, 9 thirteen comic books, which is great, so it 's three hundred and twenty pages normally retails for twenty nine ninety nine right now the stock trade price is forty two percent off so it 's only seventeen dollars and thirty cents as I said, written by Peter David some of the art is by Kurt I can never say his name jar jarvinin i don 't know and um, Marty so. Eglin okay and Marty Eglin I love this stuff Peter David did a great job reinventing Aquaman they, a lot of the look and the the roughness that Jason Momoa is brought to the character, sort of had its beginnings here. Definitely check it out. If you haven't read the Peter David stuff, I highly recommend it. Again, it's been a fun reread, so it's well worth your time. So, folks, please check out these books. Um, and uh, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit instocktrades.com. So we are going to talk about Who's Who, the loose-leaf edition. So just if, if you're new to this series for whatever reason, again, starting on the sixth issue episode, I don't know why you would do that, but whatever. Some people have, you know, no sense. So uh, it's a 16-issue mini limited series. It uh, retails for $4.95 back in 1990. That's a lot of money. I mean, you could you could buy a whole bunch of Garbage Pail Kids for $4.95. And it was in a loose-leaf format. and get 24 entries per book. Now, it focused primarily on the current DC Universe of the time. For example, we talked about Hawkman Yes. It will be the Hawk World version of Hawkman, and we'll talk all about that. Boy, will we talk about that. And on each page, I had the front side. It was a full pinup side um – Full pinup of art, had the logo and all that. On the backside is where you got your text with you know the inset images and the personal data, height, weight, all that kind of jazz. And each sheet is labeled with, and this, as I say it every month, this is Rob's favorite part. It's labeled with the color coding to tell you whether it's a hero or a villain or technology or whatever. And Rob can't get enough of this, folks. In fact, in the comments, please t- remind Rob what your favorite colors are and how you collated them. He just, man, it, it helps him get through the day.
0: I definitely dine out on that minutiae.
1: <laughs> and our goal is to sort of describe the entries in such a way that you don't have to have them in front of you uh, or to flip through your binders and heaven knows you don't want to rip a page out by accident. Uh, like my cover of some of mine don't even work anymore because they've been ripped out so many times by accident. So, Rob, where could they go to see some of these entries, though, to give them a hand?
0: Our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You just look for the Who's Who tab and you'll see the uh, the listing for this episode and then you'll see the accompanying gallery post.
1: Now, we should To be fair, we're probably gonna start including less on the gallery post, simply because if they're reprinting them, we don't want to tick off DC Comics. You know, We still want you guys to go out and buy these digital versions. So we might start posting a few less than we've been posting, just saying, for, you know, keep, to be fair to DC. Either way, go out there to our website. Now, remember, also go out on the interwebs, use our hashtag, pound FWpodcast, tag us, which is FWpodcast on Twitter, and Facebook it's Fire and Water Podcast. Let us know your thoughts on this issue. There's a whole bunch of stuff here, but really the best way to reach us is on our website and leave comments there. That's what we're going to be reading later on the feedback. We want to hear from you. Leave it in the comment section so you can be sure to hear it on the show show all right rob who's who definitive directory of the dc universe issue number six we're here cover dated january 1991 on the shelf november 27th 1990 thanks to mike's amazing world of dc uh, of, of comics for that information by the way i should admit i i was trying to not do this but i'm gonna have to say it folks i am horribly sick like horribly horribly sick just horrible cold but i'm going to power through but my voice is cracking already i can hear it but we're going to do this and i apologize in advance for the melodic tones you're used to aren't quite there this time rob you're leading why don't you tell us a little bit about uh the well the, well, the cover we're going to talk about later so why don't you tell us about the inside
0: well the inside it said there's a there's an inside text piece uh that wraps around from the inside cover to the back cover by editor michael Yuri. um do you want to do the what we talk what's do you want to talk about the inside back cover or do you want to wait till the end
1: We can do both. Yeah, because it's all one piece. Might as well. I I know where you're going because I got the same note. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Because
0: there's a a piece where Michael Urey talks about, he asks people, like, what kind of companion volumes would you like to see? And he throws out a couple of ideas. Who's who in the golden age? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And he's mentioned that one a couple times. Right? What's what? Clearly he he was angling for it. (laughs) Right. What's what? A technology handbook? Pass. Uh, (laughs) And then a who's who in whatever happened to... That breaks my heart that we got even anywhere near close to that happening because that would have been the greatest Husu Who volume of all time because that would have given me a chance to break out my uh, Detective Chimp impression again. <laughs> uh, it would have been Johnny Thunder. It would have been like Kongorilla, the Crimson Avenger.
1: Gosh, I where, just, where have those characters all been seen, Rob? That you're naming them from? Yeah, <laughs> the whatever it. happened to feature?
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, that just made me so sad retroactively that, that we never got that because that just would have been un. I mean, they would have sold like four copies, but nevertheless, it would have been really, really cool.
1: Well, it would have been complete fodder for what's uh, who's that as well? Our our yep. our, our companion show <laughs> would have been perfect. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about something uh, on the text piece on the front side. There is a mention here uh, where he writes about how. He goes, in the letters column for Who's Who number four, ye editor gave a nod to the unsung heroes of DC's production department, department who work behind the scenes on this project. Those duties changed hands during the last issue, so it's time to say hello to Rick Astro Boy Taylor and Ray McCarthy and thank them for their hard work they're putting into this comic. Well, that's very nice for him to do that. Looking at it, though, I started thinking, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm friends with Ray McCarthy on Facebook because Ray... Was previously the anchor on Firestorm during the New 52 run. Remember when we covered those Dan Jurgens issues? Sure. Well, the the first half of those were inked by Ray. So I reached out to Ray and I said, "Hey, you know, this is awesome that you're mentioned, but he's not credited anywhere. Like he's not listed in the credits. If you go out to Comic Book DB, he's not credited until issue 16. So I was like, "What? You know, if you don't mind me asking, what did you do on the book?" And he was kind enough to write me back. He says, um, "This is Ray speaking." He says, at that time, I was working in production at the D.C. offices in Manhattan. Michael Urie liked my work, so most of the time I would uh, it would be doing paste-up and corrections. Occasionally, I got to dabble with inking and did backgrounds on various pieces. Later, as I got more inking under my belt, I was able to do full inks, like the cover of the Who's Who role-playing supplement number two. Did you hear that, Siskoid? How exciting is that? Uh, then he goes on to say, eventually, I worked my way out of production into full freelance. And he goes, back then, all of it was done by hand, cut and paste was.'" Scissors and hot wax and rubber cement. It was a really wonderful way to break into the business. I also want to add that Michael Yurey was a really wonderful editor to work for. Just a very positive attitude and a nice guy all around. That's so cool.
0: That's amazing. That's I uh, rubber cement. I haven't thought of that in a long time.
1: I actually had to use it for my daughter's science fair project recently and I was like, "Oh, how quaint. I remember this stuff." <laughs> so, that that was super nice of Ray to re- take the time to respond to my nerdiness and uh and share that information with us. So, and he was so nice when he was on the Firestorm book too. So generous to us. So, awesome. Thank you so much, Ray. We really really appreciate that.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing to hear the but the the, the the behind the scenes of these books.
1: Yep. Um, also want to mention in the text It does mention that this issue We've got a different copy editor uh, Apparently Arlene Lowe needed a break Maybe it was after last issue With those credits that were misassigned Maybe you know Arlene got kicked to the curb I don't know But uh, Rose Rummel is going to be the copy editor for this issue So we'll see how Rose, if she can hold up The standard that Brenda Pope set forth All those years ago
0: doesn't, doesn't Rose Rumble sound like a Flash villain?
1: Like the alternate identity of somebody <laughs> 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 It does, totally, totally does Maybe that's uh, Scarlett, or, uh, oh The joke's lost, it doesn't matter oh. <laughs> Alright Rob, first entry Adam Strange, do it
0: Alright Adam Strange, uh, this one is drawn by Andy Kubert uh, Fresh off the uh, miniseries I believe That he had that uh, it was a three-issue miniseries, I believe. That is um, correct. Yeah, and it was in the prestige format. Yeah, but I mean, this is still basically the original Adam Strange. first appearance was in Showcase number seventeen. Uh, I like the image, uh, the main image a lot. It's a it's a very sinewy Adam Strange, uh, kind of uh, sort of pointy and muscular. It features the new logo from that miniseries, and it kind of gives the updated version of the the deeper history of of Rand and all that stuff. Like this was stuff that um. Uh, Alan Moore developed also also in Swamp Thing. So I think they – from what I remember, they took that and ran with it a little in terms of establishing the sort of darker past of Ron and stuff like that. And in this miniseries, Alana dies. uh, Yeah. yeah, Which is really very sad. We see her actually in the inset uh, laying there dead and Adam's all upset and then we have to see their baby. So this – like I don't know. I I liked the miniseries at the time because I love Adam Strange but I didn't think I – I didn't like that they sort of fussed with the, the basic setup of it so much.
1: Well, he—he he, she's pregnant. He goes home. He has an affair. You know, and then she died. You no, know, there's a lot of things about this mini series that were rightfully forgotten. Um, they quickly retconned. I don't, I don't, I try to figure out when it happened. I don't know. Somewhere along the lines, it, it got retconned. Even to the point where later on in the New 52, Alana even becomes like a member of the Justice League on, uh, United. She becomes like a hero of the team. So, um, yeah, it's it's all coming from this Man of Two Worlds trade paperback is what they're talking about. And again, quickly forgotten. I'm not as much of a fan of the cover image as you are, uh, or the front the front side of it. I guess sinewy is a way to say it. I, I don't know. It's, it doesn't, it, it captures the adventure of Adam Strange with the flying, but there's just something about the body that just, I don't know. I, I can't even sum it up because mm-hmm. I'm not an art guy. But with the arms outstretched and the chest, it's the chest and the arms that aren't working for me. But okay. either way, um, I love the character. And, and, and most of the entries is great. It's just when you get to the stuff in the miniseries, I'm not a big fan of. So uh, you get, uh, of course, the writer here is Peter Sanderson. And first appearance, uh, did you already say that? Yes, I did. Showcase, okay. yeah, showcase number 17. I don't listen to anything you say. And uh, and it's red for hero, of course. So um, And if you want more on Adam Strange, check this out. Not only can you hear it on some podcasts, our buddy uh, Alan, Professor Alan, on the Quarterbin podcast, did a whole run of Adam Strange ones. In fact, covered those miniseries. He's a big Adam Strange fan, so check out the Quarterbin podcast. But he's a freaking TV star now. He uh, has appeared on Krypton, the the spinoff show for Superman. And by the way, as we go through this issue, you're going to hear me talk about a lot of live-action stars, surprisingly. So... Very cool.
0: Yeah. On the for the one last thing, the final sense of the century, it says uh, on Fox's prodding, Strange began to emerge from a deep state of depression to take care of his newborn daughter and to help restore order to Ran- Rangar. I, like to me, that's not what I read Adam Strange comics for. I don't want Adam Strange in a deep state of depression right. and is all about fun he's got his rocket pack he's flying around with his super hot alien chick and they're running around killing monsters
1: exactly they're supposed to be fighting weird monsters yeah exactly. that's
0: adam strange not depressed adam strange so i mean i know that that was in vogue at the time and i, I think there was some, some other things to recommend about it but just overall to me adam strange is carmen infantino fun not darkness but
1: you know if you if you want to read a great Adam Strange miniseries, uh, I, this is what made me finally get Adam Strange. Came out around two thousand five. Um, you can probably find the trade still called Planet Heist. Now I I can't promise you that it's classic Adam Strange style. In fact, you won't like it because the the physical look of him he's wearing like a more like a, um, a suit like a, it's a uh, I don't know what you say like a, like an armored suit rather than the, the skin tight stuff which I like I think it looks totally boss and it's a great story but. If you have more modern sensibilities, I think you would really dig Adam Strange, Planet Heist. I think it was an excellent excellent series.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, next up is Ayla Rand's, a.k.a. Lightning Lass, of course, uh, from the Legion of Superheroes. Of course, it's a Legion character. I have very little to say about it, except I will mention the artwork by Steve Lytle is unbelievably great. Uh, Go ahead. And it say, is... say it. Say it. What? Say my line because it's no, true. I'm not – I'm, I'm leading this episode. I do it the way I want to do it. it is, she's,
1: she's smoking hot. It thanks.
0: is an unbelievably great drama. Well, I just mean everything about it. It's an – yes. it's got great – it totally uh, conveys her powers, obviously. It makes her powers look really badass because that, that – she's not just pulling down like a single lightning bolt. You know, when blowing up a gopher or something. Like, she, <laughs> she looks like she's, like, Thor-level here. In yeah. terms of, like, you can hear the crackle and everything else. The colors are great. Um Yes, it is a very sexy pose. She's a very beautiful woman. And, and Steve draws it really good. The costume is really cool. I love the inset of her with her little short red hair. And then that that middle inset panel where she's using her powers on some creature. And we see the creature's feet, like, dangling into the frame. And she kind of, like absent the context, it kind of looks like she's torturing this person a little bit, where she's just like, dee, 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 dee. and there's Timberwolf got his hands on her. And then we see her on vacation. She's sipping presumably like a cup of coffee or something. Uh, right. It's like I said, it's Legion. So I'm kind of like, eh, whatever. But artwork
1: wise, it's top notch. Well, I think she's uh, messing with uh, – it looks like Block to it me. It does who's a like Block, yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's when she had her different powers. She had powers where she was light last. They changed her powers where she could make things lighter because both her and her brother couldn't be part – members of the Legion Superheads and have the same powers at the same time. Ridiculous rule. But, you know, it's Legion. They love their rules. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that is – you're right. The torture thing comes to mind very much with that metal panel. Other things to mention here – there's, a, there, there's three siblings. There's Lightning um, Lad, Lightning Lass, and Lightning Lord. Lightning Lord's the evil one, at least in the past he was. And there's a whole weird story about where he was always trying to kill their brother, Garth, which was her twin. Aelia and Garth were twins. And there's a whole thing about twins on their home planet. And basically it was, it was really creepy because he wanted – the bad guy wanted Aelia to be super close to him rather than Garth. It was kind of like a creepy Scarlet Witch Quicksilver kind of thing going on. Very uncomfortable. So that, was, that gets mentioned throughout here as well. And they do talk about Shrinking Violet. Did you, did you get what they're saying about her and Shrinking Violet? What do you mean? They talk about their close friendship several times throughout the little piece here. And then when you get to the Shrinking Violet entry, they talk about their close friendship there. I don't know why they just can't say it. They're, they're lovers. They're a couple.
0: Is that, is that for real? Yeah. In the comics? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. absolutely. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. That, that scene where they're on vacation? No, they're not on vacation they're just had some time together i think
0: i oh oh i didn't even really put together that that's who that was but of course she's yeah. she's later on in the book now yeah. now it all to go- oh, oh, yeah, okay, all
1: right. <laughs> yes. So, um, a great character, super strong character, really a, a really powerful. I mean, not just power wise, but just her personality, everything about her is a super win. You know, she is Doctor Ange's vote for hottest Legionnaire, and this image is one of the first ones I've seen where it makes me go, hmm, maybe Angie's right because hot Legionnaire is, is a thing. We talk, we all all Legion fans talk about that. Who's the hottest Legionnaire? It's not just me being a sexist jerk like usual. So, uh, and she is, then uh,
0: she is six. Feet, 135 pounds. That is very skinny.
1: (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) And the writer on this one is Tom and Mary Beerbaum, which is why you have so much text, of course. First appearance, uh, Adventure Comics, all the way back to 1963 which is crazy, Adventure Comics number 308, and uh, of course it's a red border for a hero. Now, if you wanted to keep up with Legion of Superheroes at this point, Legion of Superheroes were on the five years later era, issue number 14, which is the one where Matter Eater Lad fights Evolo, which is funny. Uh, I wanted to mention something else, too. You always talk about how the five years later characters are so scruffy, and they're like the least appealing version of the Legion to you. You always say that. I, you mentioned her costume looks great. This is a really cool look for five yes. years later. It looks very super heroic. It yes. really, really works.
0: Yeah, It doesn't look like it's trying too hard. I think the other ones look like they're trying too hard, and we'll get to another one where I think they're trying way too hard. But this, yes. one, this one I think is a nice blending of, okay, you don't want to put her in a super suit. But you want to give her some style, you know, and make her yep. look kind of cool. And so I think, yeah, this is this is I mean, I don't know. I'd have to go back and through them all, and I'm not gonna do that. But this is certainly my favorite of the Legion listings. But part of it is Steve Ladle, he's just such a great artist.
1: Exactly. Now he wasn't drawing the five year later era of Legion. He was, of course, famous for drawing the era before that. But yeah, what he just knocked out of the park. And if you want more on the Legion, you should definitely check out the Legion Superbloggers.
0: All right, next up is Bolt. I figure you're excited about this one because it's a I'm blue super excited it's about this. It's a blue, blue devil uh, villain, of course, first degree in Blue Devil number six. The art is by Tom Lyle and Jerry Arserno – Arcerno, I guess. Uh, history-wise, not a lot to say about Bolt because we've got a Very whole, little, an entire second column, which is blank, uh, which is kind of amazing. I mean I don't know if he – he first appeared in 1984, so he had – Six years to rack up some appearances. I'm kind of shocked that there isn't a little more to say uh, from, from Bob Greenberger on this one. Because, I mean, we see him in the insets taking on Blue Devil and taking on Starman. So it's not like he's even just been a Blue Devil villain. So not a lot to say about uh, about Bolt.
1: Well, I will say, and they're all mentioned here in the entry, and I'm surprised you didn't pick up on this. But not only Blue Devil, not only Will Payton, Starman, Firestorm too. He's fought all three of those guys. So you think I like this guy? It also oh, mentions yeah. Captain Adam, too. Yeah. Okay. Him too. Um, <laughs> now, as I've said previously, when we covered Bolton, I don't, know, one of the previous versions of who, who at some point and, and his generic, uh, missing history is a good example of this. He is the perfect role-playing game villain. Because he's generic enough to be – and he's, he's a mercenary, but he's also threatening. So he's generic and threatening. So he makes perfect fit for any role-playing group. Like whenever you have a group of player characters, um, you bring him in. He's enough of a bad guy. It also makes him feel connected to the bigger DC universe. Perfect role-playing character. Absolutely great. It doesn't get – I'm surprised they don't give creator credit here. I thought they would have. Hmm. Should have got creator credit to Dan Mishkin, Gary Cohn, and I think Paris Collins based on the issue number. And also they don't have his last name, which I thought was kind of weird. Uh, I could have sworn it was revealed by this point. His real name is Larry Bolotinsky. <laughs> of and course I, it is. Right, I know, it's really goofy. I could have sworn it got revealed in, like, the Firestorm issue or something. I, I don't know. Either way, Tom Lyle drew it, and he, of course, drew the Starman issues, which is why he's drawing this piece. And um, at this point, Starman, he had, he had appeared 18 months prior to this, and then it'll be about another year till we see him again. Um, I think it's in Starman as well. And he eventually has a kid in, who uh, fights the Teen Titans. I mean, that's much, 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 much later. But anyway, if you, <laughs> if you want more on Bolt... You should check out the Starman and Manhunter Adventure Hour, um, or you should hang around for some upcoming Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast episodes, because Rob and I are going to dive into the Blue Devil and Firestorm crossover this year, and he's in
0: it. Hmm. All right. He would, uh, except for the time discrepancy, he'd be great to fight lightning West. <laughs>
1: Okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, she she totally kicks his butt. He's low level. So
0: okay, fair enough. Uh, next up is uh, we just mentioned him in the listing. Captain Adam, uh, drawn by Pat Broderick, text by Mark Wade. Um, this it, it's um it's a really nice drawing by Pat Broderick. Uh, you see Captain Adam flying over the city. I'm guessing that this is meant to be kind of smog over the city because otherwise it looks like it's been irradiated and that's kind of a (laughs) grim image. So I don't know if that's exactly what Pat was going for.
1: Well, I I give props to Pat every single issue when he does an entry because of of the loosely, because he takes the time to fill the entire page. Sure does. He really does a great job with that. We saw that with the Daxamites. We saw that with the Cahoons. um, And this is similar to his effort with the Cahoons. With the Cahoons, he did another cityscape, but it was on fire. So it was easier to mask. Here, I think his smog or fog or whatever didn't quite take like he was intending. And then I think he realized he didn't want to draw all those freaking buildings as pencil and then ink, you know? So he had to come up with some sort of scheme. So, yeah, it it doesn't quite work as well as it should. But the Captain Atom image, for the most part, looks good. Oh, yeah, the no, fa- I, think, I think the figure's great. Well, the face is a little off, which is strange, because when you look on the back, the face looks great. The face is like, okay, yeah, that's Captain Atom. The face on the front's like, that's not quite Captain Atom. But either way, it's still a nice piece. looks great. The, the inset pictures look really good. Um, in fact, I want to talk about the inset picture on the bottom right-hand one, the one that Justice League Europe. It, I really looked at this thing for a long time, trying to figure out what's going on with Power Girl and Captain Atom. Both of them are flying along, but she has her hands on his shoulder. It it almost looks like either she's pulling him along or he's flying along and dragging her along. It, it's very hard to tell what's going on, and neither one should be happening because they both can fly at this point. So I don't really get that.
0: Hmm. I never thought – yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, that doesn't – I don't understand that exactly. It does look like um, Crimson Fox is flying, which she cannot do. But I right. guess they just got to kind of fudge it a little because everybody else – we've got – you know, Ralph is stretching and Metamorpho is on his cloud form and we've got Flash and Rocket Red and stuff. So they're just – she's just sort of diving into the frame. I, I like the fact that um, they list the first appearance as the Charlton book, which is, of course, the true first appearance, and then the, the first DC appearance. Uh, yeah,
1: but they don't say Charlton this time.
0: No, they don't. But at least, I think that's we've seen previous issues where they, they seem to kind of toggle back and forth. Sometimes yeah. they list just the Charlton books. Sometimes they list just the DC book. This one lists both. And I think that's actually the best way to take it, because you're, you're telling people, okay, this character has existed since this first comic, but in the universe that he's in right now, this is where he first appeared. And they cover all that. I mean, they get most of the, the, the listing is all that origin and stuff, and then they get into the later stuff. So I think it's a good way to sum up you know, remind people, hey, this is a character that we've purchased. He didn't, wasn't always a DC character.
1: Yeah, yeah. And speaking of that, I love the way they incorporated the Charlton stories. You know, because mm-hmm. what they did was they took the Charlton stories and then said, well, that, that was all a fake cover story for him because since he was a government operative. And they said, oh, yeah, that's, this is his backstory. And they used the Carl Charlton adventures to say the uh, fictional version of his history, which I thought was brilliant. It was really clever on Kerry Bates' part. Yeah, that's a neat idea. And I'll say, Captain Captain M, think about this. This is his. This you know, every every guy back then had a little black book, right? His little black book has got Nightshade, Catherine Colbert, and Plastique in it. This guy's a player. Oh my gosh, way to go! I'm just saying, I, anybody that can date Catherine Colbert, she's top-notch, nobody, that, that's, that's the premier smart, sexy, awesome everything woman um, from the 80s as far as I'm concerned. She's awesome. She was the Justice League Europe uh, and, uh, liaison. liaison so, right, yep. right, right. Okay. Uh, um, yes? Well, I was going to mention a couple different things. Um, if you want to know more about Captain Atom, we just did an episode of the Justice League International. Uh, I had Martin Gray on, and we did nothing but talk about Captain Atom and about, 10 or 15 of his issues, and went through his whole history and how it related to JLI. So, you know, if you want to check that out, it's kind of fun. At least, I think it is. Anyway, I had fun talking to Martin. And at this point, Captain Adam was issue number 48, where they fought Red Tornado, and it was almost the end of his series. Because I was thinking, I wonder why Captain Adam didn't get the cover. Uh, But then I realized, oh yeah, Captain Adam was kind of run out of steam at this point. They were coming up on the whole Armageddon Inferno and Armageddon 2001 kind of thing. And, um, who wrote this one? Was it... Oh, they got Mark Wade to write this one. Yeah, I said that. Mark Wade. Oh, I'm sorry. Yep. And um, you know, it, it, again, another creator credit that I feel like should have been in there, created by Joe Gill and um, Steve Dicka would have been nice, don't you think?
0: Uh yeah, you know, you know, I mean, who knows with the complicated legal stuff with it's probably hard enough getting DC characters credit let alone another company or something, but I yeah.
1: Don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, besides JLI uh Bwahaha podcast, you should also check out the Silver and Gold podcast by our buddy Jay Jones and Roy Cleary where they go through the Captain Atom
0: series. All right. Next up is the conglomerate, which is a super team led by Booster Gold, which first appeared in Justice League Quarterly number one. Now, I bought Justice League Quarterly. I have no memory of this
1: at there all. There it is. None. Everyone, everyone at home, you have your bingo card out and go ahead and stamp the box that says Rob has no memory of yeah. these characters.
0: No. <laughs> well, I know I know Gypsy certainly. Okay. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I I looked at this and I'm like, what is this? I have I just have no memory of this at all. But I don't know. I bought Justice League quarterly. I know I did. So, I don't know. This is supposed to just went went one in, one on and out the other or something like that. So, why don't you explain to everybody what this team – first of all, it is a very 90s team because they all have very 90s names. Reverb, Echo, Praxis. Booster Gold, Maxi Man, Vapor, and Gypsy. That is that is very – they feel like uh, they all belong to uh, – work at Empire Records or something. So this
1: is – Yeah, it's, it's very late 80s, early 90s. Absolutely. And it's corporate too. It's all, all about corporation. Basically what happened – and, and it, I'm kind of surprised you don't remember, at least in their existence, because they were sort of the anchor in Justice League Quarterly for, for the first few issues at least. You know, Booster leaves. He gets mad at the Justice League because they didn't take him seriously. I can't imagine why. And he goes out and forms his own corporate-sponsored team. In fact, they're all wearing jackets. And what you really can't see very well is the, the back have a bunch of corporate logos, like like race cars. They have logos all over them, which is actually pretty clever, I think. you know It's, it's forward-thinking. I mean people use that later on quite often. They used it in Squadron Supreme with the speedster character and everything. It was a but gag anyway. in uh, Mystery Man too. Yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. And so um, Claire Montgomery – Is Maxwell Lord's ex-wife and she sort of is she's the equivalent of Maxwell Lord in this team she's the brains behind the whole operation so she works with booster they pull together all these characters they pull together praxis who's actually rather interesting he's kind of a a mental powered guy and he was popular enough that he went off and had his own solo adventures for a while I want to say his first appearance was actually in a specter comic not here Um, I'll be honest you're right there are a lot of forgettable characters here and I'll get to that in a second you're right now but the two important characters to mention on this team are gypsy which you already mentioned and reverb do you know Reverb is—it's the uh, all-to-vibe. It's all—it's vibes brother. Yep, yep, exactly. This conglomerate honestly was the beginning of the redemption of Justice League Detroit. <laughs> Because Justice League Detroit was, everyone hated it at the time. They are like, oh, it's terrible. These aren't the real heroes. And Justice League International came along, and everyone thought it was funny and loved it, and everyone just bashed on Justice League Detroit. This was the first time I think DC ever took a stand and said, you know what? Justice League Detroit wasn't too bad. So we got Gypsy, we got Reverb. And uh, Reverb, now, here's another thing. We talk about live action stars. Reverb could have been a TV star, believe it or not, because you know, Flash has the uh, Cisco, Ramon, has uh, the vibe character on there, right? Well, in, in this comic, um, or in, in the DC comics, uh, this character, Reverb, goes on to become Hardline, and then in New 52, he goes on to become a character called Rupture. He was, he was a, <laughs> of it's course a villain, he does. Okay? Right, of course. Well, the Flash TV show has used Rupture in their show. However, what they did was they assigned it to a different Cisco brother, which is unfair. They assigned it to Dante rather than Armando, so technically, Reverb did not get into TV, but... Kinda did, if that makes any sense, anyway. I, I think it went to Dante because that character was created by Jeff Johns. <clears throat> <clears throat> anyway, that's a whole different discussion there so um, the sad thing about Reverb is no breakdancing I mean you know you can't have everything I guess now the three other characters are Maxie Man, Vapor and Echo and guys you get to double stamp that box because I'm going to say I have no memory of these characters either <laughs> I, haven't done, I haven't done a complete reread on Just League International I'm still working my way through it as we go with the podcast so I'm going to discover these characters like everybody else I can't remember them at all so uh, I mean I've read their entry here but I, I got nothing so I can't wait to read them though I'm very excited and uh, Justice, League, and at this point, Justice League Quarterly number one had just come out, so this is very, very timely to have this entry in here. And of of course, it's written by Kevin Dooley, who was the editor of Justice League at the time, so he did a lot of that. Art by Chris Sprouse. Did you mention that Chris Sprouse? No, Bruce I Patterson. didn't. Chris Sprouse and Bruce Patterson. I love Chris Sprouse. He's just got, his stuff always looks so fresh. You know, I just that's the word that always comes to mind when I think of it. So, and for more conglomerate, be watching for future episodes of the Justice League International Blah Ha
0: podcast. All right, next up Copperhead exclamation mark by <laughs> Matt Wagner. Um uh, this is my favorite listing in the book. Um Surprise. up there along with John K Snyder, we would I think you would agree that the Matt Wagner listings so far have been all winners. Like he's just been doing a great job. This is incredibly goofy-looking character cuz he's got this giant copperhead headpiece. But the way Matt Wagner does it, he makes him look just creepy and weird. He's actually slithering down the side of a building, and we see the giant uh, the headpiece with the uh, fangs sticking out over his face. And he's he draws Copperhead as if Copperhead himself has like uh, the the mouth from the J- Jaws from the James Bond. Movie. Oh yeah, yeah. And he never really looked like that in the comics. He just was just like a, like a regular dude that had these powers because he basically well, according. Can-
1: Yes. According to the entry, he's regular, he doesn't have powers. The suit has some abilities. Well, okay. Um, All right. I mean
0: the, but, yeah, he has the ability one time, to do
1: these things. One time in quarantine, he did apparently file his teeth down to sharp points, which is creepy as hell. It's actually in the entry. I'm like, ugh. So apparently those teeth are legit.
0: I Well, I just – okay. I mean I don't know what – that looks – I guess this is the way Matt Wagner draws it. It looks so cartoony. Yeah, uh, that it. Yeah, I mean that's not filing your teeth down the sharp points. Those things are friggin' daggers. He's got yeah. no. <laughs> plus uh, on the inside. We don't see that he has any pupils, so he mm. just looks very alien and whatever. And then on the inside, we see him leaping on Hawk and Dove, and then on the other inside he's snaking around, uh, Batman. So it's. It's a great listing. He first appeared way back in Brave and the Bold, number 78. I remember him really from the Secret Society of Supervillains. He was a member of that oh, okay. team. sure, sure. Although it doesn't mention that here. It says group affiliation, none. But, well,
1: uh I want to point something out. You just mentioned his first appearance. That means you know who he was created by, right? That would be Bob Haney. Yeah, baby! <laughs> Zany Haney. Zany I love Haney. it. I
0: love the ends of the quote. It says, of course it's cold-blooded. That's why I had to become a snake. I've always been Copperhead. I just didn't know it. Until I put on my skin,
1: <laughs> I, I like this. This entry is really spectacular. It's written by Carl Kessel, and one of the things when I talked to Carl Kessel at Baltimore Comic Con, one of the things he said was that John Ostrander really turned uh, at that time. He was talking about Punch and Julie, but in general, the Suicide Squad took really a lot of interesting characters and sort of turned them on their e- on their head. And I don't know if that's what inspired him to do Copperhead. Was that you know he just saw the opportunities that you know. Writers had done with him but Carl Kiesel Did a great job with this entry it's actually It's very different than all the other entries in the book it's written As a report by Simon Legreve from Suicide Squad uh, So it, it's very interesting I love the way It's written it's, it's you know it's like a doctor's report Again I love the idea that he's just a regular Dude who's a contortionist but it's that creepy And Matt Wagner brings all that out Love it love it um and, uh, yeah, I, that's all I got. So um, he, he recently appeared in Hawk and Dove at this point, and he was soon going to appear in the Elongated miniseries by Mike Paraback and Ty Templeton, which we all freaking love.
0: Yeah, great listing. It's Again, it's one of those things of taking kind of a C-level character and handing it over to a great artist and making him look super badass. Because, I mean, it's yeah. a cool power. I mean, really, when you think about it, he can twirl around somebody and choke the life out of him. That's actually a – you know. That's a pretty cool power. I mean, mm-hmm. that isn't what Copperheads do. That's, I think, it's boa constrictors. That's what their thing is. But maybe a lot of snakes can do that. I don't really exactly know. Nevertheless, it's I dig it. It's a great listing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, next up is, oh, Shag's going to be excited here. Crazy Jane <laughs> from the Doom Patrol, uh, drawn by uh, Richard Case and Mark McKenna, uh, written by Mark Wade, TV star now, we can say. Thank you. Crazy Jane, because she's appearing in the. Doom Patrol TV series, and those are words I get to say in that order.
1: (laughs) Starts next month. It looks
0: really good. (laughs) That is unreal. I know nothing of this character. I've talked about it. I haven't really read these comics. Uh, the, The little bit I saw of them back in the day, I just didn't appeal to me, and I've never followed up with them. But so, why don't you talk about Crazy Jane? I'm Good. excited you are about this
1: character. Because you're completely wrong in not following that stuff. So, yes, Crazy Jane was a really interesting character. She was mentally unbalanced, she had 64 independent personalities that had been identified, which it lists, and,
0: and it gives you the names
1: here. It does give you a lot of the names, which I don't want to read out because some of them are like disturbing. But because of the Gene Bomb, that went off an in invasion, and this is Grant Morrison, you know, pulling in stuff from the DC universe, which is great. The Gene Bomb sparked and gave each one of those individual personalities different powers. So the way it worked is when a different personality took over, she had different abilities, which is really really cool. And I will mention one of the one of the personalities, which is the really uh, nuts one. Oh gosh, maybe I don't know the name of it. Uh, there was one where she actually transformed her shape, so forgive me I don't have it in front of me, anyway, you see the character there, she, she's giant, she's got the crazy frizzy hair and the giant talon claws that are bloody, and that's one of her personalities that comes out, it's one of the more dominant ones, it's also one of the ones that actually changes her physically, not all of them change her physically, but what I love about this entry is you see all the sort of different personalities there or maybe it's Black Annas, so maybe that's what version that is, anyway, the really cool things that they've done, and I don't know if this is done with Surprint or just the way he draws it, but there are a, 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 a whole, a, a Tapestry almost, I don't know, a puzzle pieces, of white lined puzzle pieces, which is representing her different personalities all fitting together, which is really, really clever. And of course, you get the vertical white bar, which was a symbol for all the Doom Patrol covers, or a, a, a cover treatment on all the Doom Patrol covers. So I think this is absolutely fantastic. It is really, really cool. It's very, very, very Grant Morrison. <laughs> and this was written by Mark Wade. You mentioned it last time, someone trying to capture. Neil Gaiman's writing. Well, this is someone trying to capture Grant Morrison's writing, which is not an easy thing to do. And of course, it's red. And her first appearance was in Doom Patrol number nineteen, which is the first one Grant Morrison wrote. And uh, I love the Richard Richard Case. Richard Case, of course, was drawing the series at the time. Really, really great stuff. And yeah, next month on TV, check it out. Unbelievable. And Doom Patrol number forty was on the shelf at this point when this came out.
0: Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's a nice little thing. I like the the puzzle piece effect. I think that's a it. Nice... Looks
1: great. Now, so is that a serpent?
0: Is that what did that? Uh, no, you just, no, you would just put lines in over it. Uh, although you, well, it's behind her and it's behind some of the pieces in the front. So it's not technically a surprint cause that's sort of like a separate one color thing. This is really just putting in these white lines. So I just technically would not be called that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a very nice listing. Well, it's well done. And like you said, it has that graphic effect of the bar coming down and it really, it, it's a nice visual way of reminding Somebody instantaneously, this is a Doom Patrol character, even if you don't know who it is. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. flipping through it and immediately was like, oh, this is Doom Patrol because I recognize the, the graphic treatment. So it's cool. Yep. All right. Next up is Dolphin uh, sporting her superhero costume, not her typical... Uh, cut off jeans and shirt uh, outfit, which we see her in her, from, from her first appearance, which is Showcase number seventy nine. Uh, it updates where she's been to this point because, of course, in the original her first appearance, it doesn't give us virtually anything about Dolphin. Like she's just hanging out with the Navy guys that find her. But here, there's a whole bunch of backstory. It's drawn by Steve, Steve Beauvais and Keith Wilson. Text by Tom Joyner. I'm not familiar with who Tom Joyner is. Steve Beauvais, uh drew the Aquaman camo suit listing in the updated Who's Who uh, 87, I believe. Uh, and this is done like a pinup because the, the the shot is uh, horizontal or vertical, depending on how you're holding the book. Uh, and it's hard, just in the, like little bikini form with the dolphin fling, and it's a you know sort of suitably sexy pose.
1: It's a it's a one piece, not a bikini. Uh, oh, that's right. But yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, and, and that is kind of interesting that it's landscape rather than portrait. That is a big surprise. Now, um, Steve Bove is a very nice guy from what I understand and in, done a lot of stuff. This drawing doesn't do a lot for me, unfortunately. Uh, her face is a little off. And I don't know if this costume appeared in her Secret Origins, which is where a lot of this is pulled from, or where it – I don't think she wore this in Forgotten Heroes, did she? I don't believe um, so, no. Yeah. It's um, – you, know, you come from Dave Stevens doing Dolphin. To this one, so no, not n- nothing. Not trying to take away from Mister. Beauvais. I appreciate his efforts here, but it just uh, doesn't really work for me. So um, eh, I've forgotten here as I'm reading it that she didn't speak. I completely forgot that because in the Peter David one, she is quiet for a long time, but then she starts talking. So that's sort of interesting. And and the don't speak thing also is carried over into the modern day Aquaman book, the the rebirth version when they introduced that new version of Dolphin, right? right. Yep, the, don't, the no speaking thing's also in there. And Peter David really used her to an um, exceptional a, a amount in the his own Aquaman series. She eventually marries Aqualad and has a kid. Uh, I should have mentioned, the rebirth was by Dan Abnett. I should have mentioned that as well. I can't remember the artist's name. He was outstanding, that run he did on the Aquaman series when they introduced her. Wow. I love the character, absolutely love her. Think she's fantastic. Yeah, you should definitely check out the Secret Origins episode of the Fire and Water podcast where they covered her origin. They got a really lot of details. But uh, she, other than her first appearance, really she got she was in the Forgotten Heroes, which it doesn't and, mention. It's,
0: it says group affiliation none. So once oh, again, wow. leaving, leaving it out. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, maybe they're post crisis. They yeah, don't exist. I figured. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Forgotten Heroes, a few crossovers, and Who's Who's, that's about it. I mean, she really up to this point hadn't appeared just about anywhere. So Secret Origins really was the first time she really had shined since the 60s. So um, I've heard the name Tom Joyner. I just can't place it right now. He's definitely written some stuff I've read. I I can't place it. So, Uh, The only other thing to mention is um, there's a naked kid on the back, which is a little unsettling. (laughs) Uh, well, okay <laughs> I have to tell you about that And for more on her, eventually we will do a Peter David episode Of the Aquaman and Firestorm podcast uh, Rob may not be on that episode, but we will do a Peter David episode Sooner or later And uh, also, maybe she's going to be in an Aquaman movie At some point There's bound to be a sequel at this point so who knows? In, in I, uh,
0: I ran a poll on Twitter Asking people what member of the Aqua family Did they want to see in the sequel And Aqualad won uh, Basically by two to one But Dolphin had a respectable showing
1: Good now, I bet you put Lorena in there as Aqua girl. I did. You? I did. <laughs> L- Lorena did she was least... in... Tula and Lorena separate?
0: Yes, I did. Uh, yeah, <laughs> L- Lorena came in fourth. It was very disappointing, actually. What? Yeah, I know. I know what's wrong with people. People need to read Sub Diego. Yep. Uh, next up is Dove. This is the new Dove, Dove 2. Uh, Don Marie Granger, who first appeared in Hawk and Dove, the miniseries from 1988, drawn by um, Greg Guler.
1: And mm-hmm. Carl Kiesel. I don't know who Greg Guler is. Did he? Uh, he drew. He drew the Hawking Up series.
0: Oh, did he really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, maybe
1: not all of it, but a, a large chunk of it.
0: Okay, so like you said this is the new version, the one with the sort of different power, like the actual superpowers as opposed well, the, the other Dove had superpowers too, mm-hmm. sort of. Uh, but this is definitely more of a kind of like a magical one. And it shows on the insets her with her parents and it shows her with Hawk and then her sort of in their mid-transforming. Mid-transform- and it talks about Dove as greater than average strength and dexterity, faster than human speed. I, I just really am mostly completely unfamiliar with this character other than the fact that oh. they killed the other Dove off in Crisis, of course. Right. And you needed well, to have a dove because of the, you know, balance of uh, the, you know the lords of chaos and stuff like that. And you always have to have a hawk and a dove.
1: Well, the, if you look at it, that you know, Ditko created hawk and dove, if I remember correctly, and it was kind of a statement on uh, one guy represented war and one guy represented peace. And it just didn't make a lot of, you know, it didn't, didn't take. It wasn't very popular. They tried. They put them in the Titans West. It just didn't work. So I guess it was Barbara and Carl that made the decision uh, to, to change it. I don't know who made this decision. But when it came time to figure out how to make these characters work, it sort of made sense. If they're going to have opposites to have one as a male, one as a female, it, 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 there's a logical choice to be had there. And she really was a great character. She really, really was. And there's a lot of that series that I enjoy. I think they got a little too deep into the Lords of Order mythos stuff when they started developing other looks and other personality, like powers and stuff like that. They should have, I think, just focused on their whole you know, aggressive and passive sort of sides. Um, but something else very worthwhile to mention here, Dove, TV star also. That's right. On, on Titans, she's played by the insanely hot Minka Kelly. And uh, the crazy thing is her costume is like one of the most screen accurate costumes I've ever seen. It, it looks so much like the comic it's unbelievable uh, it, It's just shocking especially since this is such a comic booky looking costume you know this is to, to mimic that is unbelievable
0: and of course Paul the- Hawk is played by Aquaman himself, Alan Ritson.
1: Right, I know! Uh, I, I like them on the Titans quite a bit. Now, they are different there. They don't do the whole Lords of Order and Chaos thing. Um, and she was a TV... On the TV version, she was a ballerina. That's where a lot of her skill came from. Now, the one thing they do skip on the TV show, which I wish they kind of found a way to do, was uh, Dove, in the comics, was always a pacifist. Or at least she fought defensively. So she'd use like a lot of aikido. Like When someone would come at her, she'd use their own motion against them. Uh, so it was more of a... A pacifist way of fighting, if that makes sense, using someone's own energy against them. Uh, whereas in the in the TV show, she's just keep beating the crap out of people, breaking bones, all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, that's not pacifist. What? So that that's one bit of a miss on the show. So you've got uh, written by uh, of course Barbara and Carl Kiesel, which wrote the t- which wrote the comic. Um, her first appearance. You know, you mentioned Dove dying. Interesting, they talk about in here how she gained the power of Dove, and the power was transferred to him before the brother died. So basically in Crisis, he's fighting, right? And they transfer the power to her. So suddenly he's trying to save people and he has no powers left. That's what got him killed, was the powers moved to her, which is kind of a horrible thing. Uh, You know, survivor's guilt for her to carry around there. So anyway. That's
0: retrofitting. That didn't happen in the Absolutely
1: correct. Yes, you're absolutely, yeah. Because uh, Crisis, of course, is 85 and this didn't come along until 88. So that was definitely retrofitting. Yeah, Dove just gets it by one of the shadow demons. That's it. Oh, was it? okay. Yeah, I couldn't. I thought a building fell on him or something.
0: No, no, no. Yeah. The, one of the he shi- one of the shadow defense like zips right through him, and they're like, "Oh no, Dove!" And it's like nobody really cared.
1: <laughs> sort of like when Aquagirl died. <gasps> oh, and that's just rotten. But not wrong, but not wrong. All right. right. So Hawk and Dove number 20 was on the shelves at this point. So, again, check out the Titans TV show where she appears there. Again, very different, folks. It's very dark. Don't watch it with the kids. But, uh, again, Minka Kelly, it makes the whole thing worth it. So you can also check out the uh, Titan Up the Defense podcast where um, she might make some appearances there being that she's sort of related to the Titans.
0: All right. Next up is Floro. Aka uh, the Plant Master, aka the Floronic Man. He's had many names. Uh, it's drawn by Mark Piscella, uh, and, and on the uh, on the uh, the back we see the original, his more hum- human version. He's about to uh, cut Adam into two. Then we see him with his formula, with his little pincer hands, and then the <laughs> third in, the third inset is the little family portrait uh, with Floro and one of the Guardians and one of the uh, Amazons there. Um, new
1: New Guardians era. The
0: New, the new Guardians era, yeah. Cause, and it, it talks about his first appearance is in Adam number 1, and then it gives the first appearance as the Floronic Man, which is in Flash 245. And so now he's simply Floro, because now he's a member of the New Guardians. This is a character that I, you know, like, you see him as he's portrayed here. He is barely human. I mean, he's humanoid form. He's got a head and arms and legs, but he's really not humane in any other. He's really just branches, like a sentient tree, basically. Mm-hmm. And this little weird little... Uh, I don't even know what you'd call them, these little bra- stubby branches coming out of his head. So, I mean, it's a character that over time they have developed more and more into – he's losing more and more of his humanity. Alan Moore did a pretty yeah. pretty memorable issue of Saga the Swamp Thing where Flournic Man has gone almost completely insane. And the Justice League tries to step in to stop him, and they can't, and it's Swamp Thing up to the job. But I really like this drawing because we see him – and he's like rending these trees as they're coming up out of the ground. He's got a similar mo to poison ivy, of course. He's more like Swamp Thing's powers, but I uh, know it's a really creepy looking image. I mean, because <laughs> again, over time, he's losing his humanity as he goes on. Uh, but it's I, just,
1: I, I was just going to mention before you left I was going to mention about the art. Mark Basella. Um, he really was known as an independent comic artist at this point, and he had done the Demon storyline in Action Comics. So really, this was kind of a departure for him.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was only vaguely familiar with his name. In The Powers and Weapons, it says he talks, he professes to be able to summon elementals from his native dimension to do his bidding. But this claim rests solely on whether his past statements of origin are true or not. Just like the Joker. (laughs) Nobody knows.
1: There you go. Uh, Really, I feel like this is like – the, the Alan Moore story really was great. And that's, I think, really where they started making it more alien esque, if you will. I think, this, unfortunately, what happens after that is, is this is what happens when people try to play with Alan Moore's toys, really, is where you get like the New Guardian stuff with Floro and all that. It just doesn't work as well. You know, he, as a totally balls of the wall, crazy, zany sort of villain who's nuts, it worked really well. But to try and make him a hero, I, it never really fit. Also, something else I always want to mention here it says he was a teacher for a short period of time. But apparently, he taught every plant related character on Earth because they mentioned his students included uh, Alec Hall. You know, uh, let's see, where is it? Pamela um, Isley,
0: Alec and Linda Holland, yeah. Susan Lind. So yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Poison Ivy, you get uh, Swamp Thing and his wife. Then you get Black Orchid and uh, the guy who transformed her into Black Orchid. It's like, really? He taught all of them in that short window? Wow. There's apparently no other botany programs anywhere on the planet. <laughs> so, um, Mark Wade wrote. Was it, yeah, oh yeah, Mark. Oh no, I'm sorry, Andy, no, Andy Mangels.
0: That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. It also does mention that he uh, he uh, proposed to Abigail Cable. Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> I bet that went really well. So um, especially when her husband showed up. <laughs> So uh, interesting you know. Um, the border is purple for Supernatural And this could throw people off Because is he purple for Supernatural Is he a villain because he was a villain Or is he a hero because he's part of the new Guardians Ah so many possibilities You could file him in so many different ways Look at that now, uh, and I'm sure Rob just doesn't care. Anyway, so uh, sure. the New Guardians had ended almost a year prior to this. So really, he was in limbo. And uh, if you want more on this information, you could check out the New Guardians podcast. Yeah, that doesn't that's not a thing. But um, <laughs> Michelle Fife
0: is starting that. <laughs>
1: No, <laughs> but Michael Bailey is planning at some point to do some millennium coverage where the new guardians get talked about. So maybe we'll talk about him on the new guardians pod. Uh, I'm sorry. On the millennium podcast, Look, or at least uh, this mini series of millennium episodes should be fun.
0: All right. Next up is gangbuster Woo! drawn by Jerry Ordway, Jerry, the extraordinary Ordway and Mike, Mike Macklin. Great team. He first appeared, uh, of course, in his uh, regular guys as a, uh, As Jose Delgado In Adventures of Superman Number 432 And then as Gangbuster In Superman Adventures of Superman 434 They didn't wait long Two issues And he became Gangbuster Um, He's basically Just kind of a Batman type Guy that runs around And sort of Hangles on the Street crime level Of uh, of, uh, Metropolis And we see him In action coming off This fire escape And he's uh, presumably interrupting some sort of crime because we see a bunch of shadowy guys with guns. Although it's kind of funny because we see, like, it looks like it's just like a mugging or maybe a, something a little more than that. I don't want to get into it.
1: But you look at the, the silhouettes of the guns that they yeah. have, and they have like these super ray gun things. Like, it's. it's well, I, I got to say, the bottom left hand one is not a ray gun, that is an Uzi and i only recognize it because every 1980s tv show the bad guys had uzis just like you know the a team and v and everything else and it's like really where does the guy on the street get a freaking Uzi other than '80s action shows? Come on,
0: <laughs> that's a that's a you're right as an American to own an Uzi if you want. Uh, <laughs> of course, again, it's drawn by Jerry Ordoy, which means it's awesome. There's a great little inset of him in his outfit. I like his costume because again, he's like a street level guy. This is this is a guy that basically had to sort of jerry rig everything together. Mm-hmm. This is, he's kind of like a wild dog, except good, and uh, you know. <laughs> Like he's got a helmet, which is, looks a little footbally, and he's got this—he's uh, got these visor. His his chest emblem is uh, the, the fist with the slashing slash in front of it, and he's got it, like a nunchuck around a chain belt. I mean, he's goofy, but I also kind of like the idea of of a Batman esque character. Running around the streets of Metropolis because, of course, Superman is busy taking on the prankster and crap like that. This is a guy that's dealing with muggings and stuff. And we even see Superman on the inset uh, there in the third panel. So it's, I, I don't know a whole lot about this character other than what I've read here. But uh, I don't know. I kind of like him.
1: He's a great character. He really is. Also, he dated Lois Lane. So, you know, it's good for him. Careful. Now, a couple of different things. What did you say? Careful. Yeah, well, maybe that explains how, how he got his spine broken. Um, <laughs> a couple different things that uh, Gangbuster is famous for. Most famously was he did get injured and his spine got broken. He couldn't walk. And as he was healing, Superman took over the role of Gangbuster. But uh, subconsciously, like Superman wasn't aware he was doing it. He went out there and it was a really violent Gangbuster. Basically, Superman had a mental breakdown, and he was uh, – because of him killing the Kryptonians, it caused him all this grief. Um, you know, He killed Zod from the parallel world or whatever, and so it caused him to have like a mental schism, and he took on the persona of Gangbuster, got very, very violent, and eventually that led to the famous exile story. So Gangbuster's is tied into all of that, which is really exciting. He's also famous for what didn't happen, and, and I hope I got my facts right. Michael Bailey, correct me if I had don't. There was a plan by the writers for Gangbuster, Jose, to become the new Guardian. Um, Not new Guardians, but the character of Guardian. He was going to be a new updated version of Guardian. However, at the same time, there were plans from other folks to create a clone of Guardian, Roy Harper. Um, I think that's his name, isn't it? And so uh, they didn't get to make Jose Guardian, which really sucks because it would have been a nice, you know, sort of uh, evolution to go from Gangbuster to Guardian, which would have been a really nice transition. Either way. So he's famous for a lot of those things. Great character. And interesting here, it says created by Jerry Ordway and Mike Macklin. Right. However, on Wikipedia, uh, it's uh, and I happen to be looking them up. It says that it was created by Jerry Ordway and Marv Wolfman. So I don't know which is correct. I thought that was very odd. So um, he was appearing regularly in Superman at this point, And this month they were on issue number 51 of Superman, which is awesome, right after the proposal. And the entrance, entry here is written by Roger Stern, the amazing Roger Stern. Awesome sauce. And, uh, of course, it's red for hero. And if you want more on Gangbuster, you should definitely check out the From Crisis to Crisis uh, podcast with Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor where they cover this era of Superman.
0: All right. Next up is a dual listing, two new gods characters, Glorious Godfrey and Amazing Grace – drawn by John Byrne. Um, It's kind of funny. I don't know if this bugs you at all, but when I see, there's just, this is such a nitpick, but when I look at it, the way that the, the, the names are placed, it looks like she's named Glorious Godfrey, and he's named Amazing Grace. There's something about the way uh... – it's not true It's because her name is supposed to be under her and his name is above his. But there's something about the way – you tend to read from left to right. So when you see Glorious Godfrey, to me, my mind goes right over to the right-hand character. Part of the because Amazing Grace's boobs are out. And then you, <laughs> then you move down to Glorious Godfrey and, of course, that's when the name says Amazing Grace. But, of course, that's not correct.
1: The, the thing that bothered me about the names is they look like they're on nameplates. Yes, like you'd see on an office door or something in fancy script. Rather, it doesn't doesn't it, it, it jarring with the artwork. I didn't okay. like that.
0: Uh, but I like the I like it. it's again it's John Byrne. I like it. I friggin love the inset portrait of Glorious Godfrey with the squinty face. That ah! face is fantastic. <laughs> I don't I don't even know exactly what he's doing. Uh, but it ju- I just he's it's, <laughs> it's so yeah he really is. It's so full of character. I absolutely love it. Now, of course, these characters. You would think, if you don't know necessarily, that they are contemporary of each other, but they're really not. Glorious Godfrey first appeared in Forever People number 3, which is way back in 1971. Amazing,
1: created great, by Jack Kirby. Credit.
0: Created by Jack Kirby. And then Amazing Grace is created by John Byrne. First appeared in Superman, the second series number 3, 1987. So these characters mm-hmm. are 16 years apart. She's 5'11", 127. She's even skinnier than Lightning Last.
1: Okay, so th- this is in my notes specifically, and I'm glad you what you just said a few minutes ago, because I know how you are about weight. Five foot eleven, 127 pounds. There's no way her boobs alone weigh that much. Yeah,
0: they, they, John, the way they did definitely did not go subtle. I mean, she is she's basically in like a bikini with some thigh highs, and those things are just popping out. So I mean, you can't help but notice it because it's just the way Byrne drew them. But nevertheless, it's it's nice. He he clearly had a lot of. Affection for these characters because he used a lot of them in his run on Superman. So – and I think it was – it's kind of an interesting idea that he would introduce his own character into the new gods because most of the time people just played with the Kirby toys. Right. But he actually decided to add something to –
1: you know, add something to it. She's an interesting character. Um, but, you know, after this, she really d- doesn't get seen for about 10 years. So no one really saw the value in her for a long time, which is sad because they've done so much with the Kirby stuff over the years. But um, if I remember right, I think Amazing Grace and Superman got funky in one of those issues where he had a blanked out memory. I think that's another thing she's famous for. But of course, Byrne did this because not only the Superman era, he also did Legends, where, you know, he did Glorious Godfrey, which is fantastic. And we
0: see him there on the inset with him with his microphone doing his whole. You know, whatever thing
1: I love Legends so much Anyway, uh, Peter Sanderson is the writer here And of course their border is black for villains But it is a nice uh, paired up entry At first I thought, is this the first dual entry we've ever gotten? But no, it's not Because we got KGBs to NKV Demon As a paired up entry as well So uh, Action Comics number 652 is on the shelf At this point, they hadn't appeared For about nine months Uh, So if you want to go back, you'd have to go back and find them there And again, from Crisis to Crisis is the place to find more On these people
0: All right, next up is our marquee character, Hawkman, the new version of Hawkman. Now, of course, on the cover, the background is red. Uh, Here it's blue, and there's actually a moon here in the background, suggesting this is a night scene. This is the Hawk – I mean, again, it mentions the Silver Age version, which appeared in Brave and the Bold number 34, a comic I used to own at one point. Uh, And then then we've got the modern version, which first appeared in Hawkworld, Book one from 1989. I don't need to go on and on about how I did this version. Just I okay. I just tuned out at this point. I love it when you're done complaining. i am just saying. I just wish that we're gonna get finally Hawkman get a listing. It's gonna be. This version, I mean, those wings, just his bamboo wings are just kind of like, oh, God, whatever. Nevertheless, the drawing is by Graham Nolan. I like the perspective. We're sort of below as Hawkman is flying through the city and there's, there's this forced perspective of the buildings. And I like the insets and stuff. So it looks cool. It's just this is just not any version of Hawkman I ever found interesting.
1: You done? Um, yeah, Maybe. I'll let you know. Okay, uh, I love the drawing. I think it looks absolutely. The only thing that bothers me about the drawing is his knees. The knee, for whatever reason, the knees look knobby to me. They've always bothered me. But other than that, it's an incredible drawing. Because first of all, all right, I, I'm a fan of this version of Hawkman. If you hadn't noticed, this is what a cop would look like. A cop would have padded armor. A cop would be carrying, you know, a big gun. A cop would have armor. You know, the shoulder pads, the knee pads. The cop would not have. Goofy feathered wings He'd have something You know metal You know something like that So it's it's not bamboo It's a giant sheet of metal Made of nth metal Oh look at that Which allows him to fly I think this version Is fantastic It really Yes obviously It's a big retcon um, it, it, Interesting though They did work in The Invasion miniseries Into the dialogue here They talk about how The, the Hawkman and Hawkwoman Have come to Earth As sort of A, a peace offering After the Invasion miniseries which, Where the Thanagarians came I was impressed So um Now, we did cover Hawk World back when we did Who's Who number two. But, folks, this is your chance. Get it all out of your systems now. Everyone, write in the comments on our website, just like Rob was kvetching a moment ago. Yes, complain about the retcons. Yes, complain about Hawkman is always rebooting. Get out of your systems. Let's do it. This is the time. You've been waiting for it. Now's the day. For me, though, yes, I, I, it is very dystopian. It is very, very 90s. Um, but I'm okay with that. I really thought that the original Hawk World miniseries was very, very good. The concepts behind the Hawk Man series was very, very good. There were some problems in it. I know a lot of people feel like Mark Wade's famous line, and I said this again in episode two, was that could everything could be fixed if they just said ten years ago, and then they could all, you know, say that the Hawkman fits in with all the continuity. I, I don't believe in that. I think with – because with Wonder Woman, they didn't do that with Wonder Woman and it seemed to find a way to work itself out. I think the issue, the failing with Hawkman was once they got to the Hawk, the Hawkworld ongoing series was they didn't incorporate him into or integrate him into the DC universe enough. John Ossinger wrote a really interesting political piece. But it was very hyper-focused in just Hawkworld and his little sphere of people he interacted with. They didn't really cross over enough with the rest of the DC universe. And I think if they had, there would have been a bigger level of acceptance because he's a really cool character. And I will say it, Robin, you're not going to like it. This version of not Hawkman but Hawkwoman, Shiera Hall, was the best version of Shiera Hall ever. She is absolutely kick-ass. She is absolutely the inspiration for the Shiera Hall we got in the Justice League animated series. She's great. So there – I got it all out. Um, loved it. Absolutely love this thing. Of course, it's written by John Austen. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no Peter. It's Sanderson. not. I didn't even catch that. It. Okay, it's written by Peter Sanderson. Okay, interesting. Uh, of course, it's red uh, for hero. And Hawkworld was on issue number seven at this point. So if you wanted to follow the series at that point, and um, let's see. Oh, of course, you know Graham Nolan was doing the art on the series. Although the, the inset picture, like I don't like the one of Carter by a tree. I don't really get that one <laughs> with but, his, with his uh, his mullet too. Yeah, uh, I like him with it. See the ones, the wings he's wearing there, Rob, which are the feathered wings. Those are the ceremonial wings. Like you know, you for police have a dress uniform. This is the dress uniform for the Thanagarian police, which is great. And then, of course, you get him as being a badass in the next panel. Uh, if you want more on Hawkman, you can check out the Bean Carter Hall blog by our buddy Luke Jackanetty. Uh, also, TV star, by the way, you could check out Hawkman on DC Legends of Tomorrow or back on Smallville. He was on that as well, so he's a two time TV star. And then there's another blog called Fly to Hawk World blog. And of course, Rob already pimped the Hawkman, Hawkworld, or Hawkman companion. Hawkman companion, so, yeah. All of those great places to get more information on Hawkman. Do you have any more poo pooing you'd like to do?
0: I just I appreciate your call for realism in a story about space cops who come in and attack. Shadow creatures and stuff I, I appreciate the fact that you, you were like This is just absurd, I need realism in this kind of thing So okay, good for you Fair enough, fair enough He was also in that Baby Ruth commercial in the 90s You can find that on YouTube oh my uh, gosh, I just forgot about that <laughs> And in Legends of the Superheroes uh, So uh, next up is The Huntress Drawn by Joe Staten and Bob Smith uh, this is the newer version. This is, uh, the, uh, Alter Egos, Helena Bertinelli, not of course the daughter of Batman earth two, cause that doesn't exist anymore. Nevertheless, Paul Levitz, Joe Staten and Bob Layton get creator credits because of course they came up with the sort of original version of the Huntress, although here she's just called Huntress, um, I, you know, look, I, everybody knows how much I love Joe Staten. I think we're both huge fans of Joe Staten, although I think I love him a little more
1: than you. I, I love him in the 70s. Absolutely. Okay.
0: There's This this is a really interesting idea for a pose of, of super foreshortened as Huntress is flying into the frame feet first. She's about to kick you in the face. Exactly right. I don't think it exactly works. I just think right. it looks weird and stubby, and it's just not what – I think they were trying to go for. Again, I appreciate the attempt, it, but part of it's her costume
1: too. Cause there's a lot of flesh yeah, and there's a lot of cleavage, if you will, uh, from the underside. I don't know how you express that, but, uh, yeah, her costume doesn't help the pose because it is the, it, it's basically the classic huntress costume, right? I mean, that's basically mm, with
0: the, uh, a little bit. Yeah.
1: For the it's, most part. It's a
0: little more flesh than, than the uh, other one, but
1: yeah. Okay. So for, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I agree that the pose doesn't quite work. Again, I I love the idea of being kicked in the face. That is awesome because that is totally her kicking ass. But yeah, this is a really weird period for this character because she has just been reimagined as you as you mentioned uh, for post crisis. But this version doesn't stick around all that long. She she basically she appeared in. Uh, Huntress number 1, and she had a 19-issue mini-series, or not, I'm sorry, 19-issue ongoing series. And it had just ended three months before this. So this is that snapshot of the 19-issue series. She went through a dramatic, I don't want to say reimagining, because it wasn't reimagined. Revitalization? Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. She was Revitalized or redeemed in the Robin 3 Cry for Huntress miniseries, which they took the bare bones of this, meaning she was a mafia princess daughter who, you know, our family murdered and turned into becoming a vigilante and took that and built upon it and created something wonderful. They created a version of Huntress, which was great. They, By the way put all kinds of clothes on her. There wasn't an inch of skin except for her face, you know, once they were done with that costume. And it was a, it, she was a school teacher and she was a really great version of Huntress, which then went on to join, eventually, um, Justice League. She went on to join Birds of Prey. She, she went all through the the, the the DC Comics up until Convergence. Uh, then they rebooted her again. But it was a really, really great version of Huntress. And this is, this is the beginnings of her, but not who she would eventually become. Now, it's written here by Joey Cavallari, who wrote that series, and he actually created the Burtonelli version, but again, he doesn't – like you mentioned, he doesn't get a credit. So um, she, she does – it's kind of weird. She's already a member of the JLI at this point, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but she, Maxwell Lord actually forced her to join. He used his mental power. Uh, no, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. She wasn't going to join, and then he used his powers to mentally push her into joining, which is like super creepy. So um, another thing we can say, TV star. Multiple times. How crazy is that? So uh, she was a star. She appeared on Arrow, Huntress did. She was a regular on the Birds of Prey series, although that was more of the Batman Catwoman daughter version. And there's a movie in development right now for Birds of Prey that she's going to be in. So if you want more on her, you can also check out Ash, our buddy Ashford, who does the Feathers and Foes podcast and the Straight of Gallifrey podcast. He's developing a Hunters podcast. You should definitely check that out.
0: I, I, and, do, um, I do need to mention this. Yeah. though. It mention someone that says uh, this person who attacked her, and it says an attacker who called himself Omerta the Silencer. Omerta means silence. So his name is Silence the Silencer, uh, <laughs> broken and murdered her entire family. Um, in terms of the art, um, as we've talked about in other yeah. Usu episodes, Joe Staton could dial up and dial down the cartooniness. And I think when he did Plastic Man, like when he did that strip in Adventure Comics, which uh, Max Romero and I talked about for Fire and Water it, – it, Joe's super cartoony thing I think worked perfectly. And so you see the inset here. There's a villain. This is the to the Silencer guy. He looks right out of the, the plastic match strip. Like he's completely yeah. cartoony. And then the second inset, Helena's head is completely flat. I mean she yeah. looks like Flat Top from Dick Tracy. So it's like I just think he just turned it up a little too high for what is supposed to be ostensibly kind of a realistic gritty strip. So I like the last inset picture over there. Yeah, that she's, nice. she's got yep.
1: sexy, she's curvy, you know, she's all those guys chasing like after with bats and yep. stuff. Yep. Yep. Now one thing in the in the middle picture it's worth mentioning she is holding a cross there. Yes. And that became a big thing for her character. She was very, very religious. So
0: I've said many times there is no way you could live in the DC universe and not be uh religious. No, nope. <laughs> and, and not believe in the afterlife and live in the DC universe because you're constantly being visited by people from the other side. Right. Say, so, hello, Spectre. Yeah. I don't uh, – what? How do I handle that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Next up is Kanjar Row, drawn by Tim Bradstreet and – I love this version of Ken because he looks like a what? granny. He looks like a little nice granny. There's something so goofy about it. I love it. He, said he just looks like uh, he's just going to write you a check for $12 and give you some Werther's Originals or something. He's kind of folding <laughs> his hands. I am completely – I mean this is the version from Hawk World. Of course, it's the yep. same character though because it says it mentions that he first appeared in Justice League of America number 3, although they don't give any creator credits. That would be Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski. Uh Again, this is the newer version. This is the Hawk World version. And you see, there is only one column of text. That's all he gets. <laughs> it's Just He gets a couple of paragraphs and that is it. Nevertheless, I just – I don't know. I just – I, I enjoy this look. It's so silly looking. I, I think it's cool. He's got this bug eye. He's got the bee eyes and the copperhead teeth and the little weird jacket. It just looks cool.
1: I am stunned, folks. I, this is me stunned because I fully expected you to rip this to shreds simply because he's not, you know, uh, ordering the Justice League on a slaving boat or whatever. No, well, it's a road. different
0: version. It's a completely different version. It's not the same Well, character. I figured you'd hate it
1: because of that. So, yeah, this one, he's a bureaucrat. Right. Which is is perfect for this – look. I mean he looks exactly like a sniveling little bureaucrat. It's great. He's he's doing a Mr. Burns thing in the picture. Oh, he totally is. Oh my gosh. You're right. (laughs) Um, And and interesting, Tim Bradstreet, right? The great, fantastic artist. I didn't realize that this is like right at the start of his career with comics. Now, he had been drawing professionally since 1985 at this point, but he was doing mostly role-playing books. So, this huzoo entry is actually one of his first comic book works. And it's really, it's so polished. You would never think he's a new artist on the scene. Um, it, the, 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 the gist is that the reason why you don't have much text is because he was created in Hawk World number one as a minor background character, so he doesn't appear very much. Less there than a only year work. ago,
0: too. I mean, exactly. His, his, like, he's brand new.
1: They're only on Hawk World number 7 right. at this point, so he's barely had any appearances. They just know he's very, very cunning, and they know – they probably know where they're going to go with it. I mean, come on. It's Kanjar Rowe, right? So, um, yeah, it's super fun though, and um, also written by Peter Sanderson, and of course his borders black, which is <laughs> – his border is black for villain, and yet there's nothing in this to indicate that he's a villain other than, well, we know it's Kanjar Rowe, We know where this is going, Right. Right. So if you want stuff on the classic Kanjar row, you should check out our, our buddy Mike Peacock's Justice's First Dawn podcast. So I'm sure he's touched on Kanjar at some point or another.
0: Yep. Uh, next up is Mr. Bones from Infinity Inc. number 16. This time it's drawn by Jay Geldoff, who at this point had mostly done independent stuff. He eventually went on and did a lot of stuff for Marvel. But at this point, he was still kind of an indie creator for the most part. Uh, it's got it on the front. Rindle and the Badger. There you go, and on the so on the front image, it's him, and he's got these got these his, his uh, skeleton hands as the the sort of poisonous uh, mist is coming off of them, and he's standing on a pile of bones, and then on the inset we see him again with his hand with his
1: glove off, and he's got his nasty hand, and then he's then with Infinity Ink. So it's very his origin is a mess. It's it's all tied in with Infinity Ink and this Helix group, which is a group of bad guys who were these babies who were experimented on and blah, blah, blah. And and the Helix stuff has mostly been forgotten, thankfully. Uh, But because Mr. Bones goes on later on to be the head of the DEO, Department of Extranormal Operations, which is the – like for many, many years, it was like the – organization, once Suicide Squad was gone, the, the government organization that people dealt with in the comics, they dealt with all the superhero stuff, which was fantastic. But at this point, really, he was still in that super... It's funny, like he looks so evil, right, on the front, and yet he's got the hero border, which is funny to me. It has been two and a half years since the end of Infinity Inc., so he really wasn't doing much at this point, but they will ramp up with him in a few years after this. And um, First appearance Infinity Inc., number eight, sorry, 16 in 1995, or 1985, written by Mark Wade. So there we go. Very exciting. Um, I don't mean that. I don't mean that at all. Uh, I love him in the DEO role because when he's in the DEO, he just wore a suit and he smoked cigarettes constantly. He was like it was like the um, like the Smoking Man or Skinner from X Files all the time. Is kind of what he was like, except you could see his skull, and it was just really cool. Next up is uh,
0: what do you want me to say, (laughs) Mister Nebula and Scarlet Skier from Justice League of America, Justice League America. Excuse me, number thirty six. Uh, both of them first appeared in Justice League America number thirty six, and uh, they are interplan. Well, I mean, okay, Mister Nebula is an interplanetary designer, and the Scarlet Steer is <laughs> is the locator for Mister Nebula. So they're kind of a they're kind of a team. I, I mean,
1: I imagine you love these characters, Jack, to some extent, to in extremely small doses. <laughs> They're just you want me to do this one?
0: <laughs> yeah, I do I can't. Okay. I just, all
1: right. These are uh, Giffen and Dematteis, way leaning into the skid with humor. Okay, so do not even for a second take these guys seriously. Their primary adversary is Nort. Okay, so that's that. You got to frame your reference around that. When you when you think about how goofy these guys are, you got to go. Okay, wait. They he, they fight Nort. Okay, I get it now. They are without a doubt pastiches of Galactus and Silver Surfer that is the point. Mr. Nebula is like Galactus except he's an inner dimension or galactic basically interior decorator and Scarlet Skier is obviously silver surfer. Um, and that's it's totally goofy. It's totally it's the gags are over the over the top and um, they <laughs> I, you know I just don't give a damn how stupid they are. I love them. They're just fun. You know they they had appeared the previous year. They did not get many appearances thankfully. I think even given and Dematteis knew that they, they were going a little, you know. This will work a little bit, but not a lot. Thankfully, uh, they even make reference to how they they went to the school of um, what is it, uh, manga manga con's shouting kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, written by Kevin Dooley, of course, because he was the editor on Justice League at the time. First appearance, as you said, was very very recent Justice League, America number thirty six. And uh, Borders Are Black for Villains. And again, it was Tom Artis, by the way, who did the art on this. And I, you know, I didn't look up where Tom Artis connected. I, I don't think he drew any Justice League issues, but certainly he did a great job sort of capturing the JLI sort of look of it, the very cartoony sort of fun style. So it's fun, guys. I, I, I feel like I'm apologizing for it too much. Just enjoy it. Go with it. That's what you got to do.
0: Yeah, the listing. And for more,
1: of course, you should listen to the Justice League Wahaha podcast for more on them eventually.
0: Yes, I was saying the listing leans really hard on the humor. I mean, really hard on the humor. And let me ask you, Rob would you rather talk about this one
1: or the next one? I mean, come on.
0: Uh, Well, the next one is Northwind. Uh, It's all very exciting, (laughs) especially him in his new costume, drawn by Lou Manna and Jeff Albrecht. Uh, the yard sale artist, It uh, is written by, uh, Robert Greenberger. <laughs> and, uh, of course he first appeared in Ultra Squadron number 25. Now, I, the, the uh, Northwind's original costume was, n- was not that great. Uh, but this one, I don't know. I feel like this one's even sillier. I don't know. I don't know. Or, what do you it, feel?
1: It's it less interesting. Let's put it that way.
0: Less interesting. I liked him with the domino mask. I like the inset panel. He needs the mask. Yeah. I, the inset panel of him with Hawkman and Hawk, uh, girl of course they are his godparents now because of course all their history's all been changed and stuff like that because now we don't have this earth two version although we do it's just all the history's all different we see him in infinity inc we see him in his far in his, in his uh his city where he's from the, the you know they talk about these uh new feather new <laughs> new feathera feathera feathera
1: you don't have to do this if you don't want, Rob. Seriously, I just, I mean, uh, nobody at home cares. <laughs> this is a perfectly adequate entry about a character nobody cares about. <laughs> That's what this is. I'm trying I mean, my best on. over here. You really are. I mean, you get you get like a you know a, a, what are those the the, the the prize for showing up you know a participation trophy there. I mean, um, he appeared two last time we really saw him was two years ago, Infinity Inc. When it ended, pretty much that's it. He gets a handful of other cameos whenever there's like a JSA sort of crossover thing. But no one in 30 years has cared enough to really bring him back in any sort of fashion. No one cares. It's okay.
0: Bob Greenberger can't even really make the I don't want to say Bob Greenberg can't make the effort that's not right because uh, Bob I'm sure Bob put effort into this but even like in the powers and weapons it kind of underscores how kind of just meh this character is because it says Northman was born with feathered skin and long sweeping wings which allow him to fly given his unique physiology Northman has enhanced stamina and strength he can fly from Greenland to Washington DC before exhaustion affects him you're like, okay, a hero that gets exhausted? Like, all right. <laughs> and then at the bottom it talks about his connection with the the feathered friends and says, Northman can communicate with bird life and is able to enlist their help from time to time. <laughs> it's, like, it's not even like, you know, every so often when the birds feel like showing up, I guess he can maybe get a pigeon to attack Mr. Bones. I don't know. I mean, it's just <laughs> I just feel like this whole thing is done with a shrug, even though look how much history he has. Like they fill up yeah. the page with
1: this. I mean, truthfully, if you look at his powers and weapons, he's more powerful than Angel from the X-Men. I mean, because Angel could fly, but mm-hmm. this guy's got extra powers on mm-hmm. top of that, mm-hmm. so but they just, no one could get enough uh, <laughs> passion to care. I think it's his look, honestly. I think, like, without his mask, his face just looks so ridiculous. I, just, I don't know. Yeah,
0: didn't, I just didn't have a lot of a personality, from what I remember. Yeah. And a lot of the other members of Infinity, Inc. were much more headstrong. Jade was really cool and Obsidian, they had a nice dynamic, and of course Silver Scarab was kind of like a hothead and there was Fury yep. and Nuclon, like they, were, they weren't they were A-list characters, but they, they were forceful. North Northwind was is kinda of like the Red Tornado. Like he's just sort of passive. And I just think for most people are just kind of like, eh, all right, whatever.
1: I think under the right writer, any character can be interesting. Sure. Sure. But no one ever came along with this one. <laughs> yeah. you, know, it's, it, you know, it was sort of interesting. It occurred to me for the first time as I was reading this one that with Infinity Inc., both Hawkman and Green Lantern got two legacy characters. Because you know, right. Hawkman gets Silver Scarab and Northwind. Green Lantern got Jade and Obsidian. Flash got none. Which is kind of weird, you know. Um, either way, uh, yeah, there's 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 not much here. All right,
0: let's, let's <laughs> move on.
1: Uh, Power Girl. Oh, by the way, if you want more information oh. on Northwind, you can. Oh wait, nobody cares. There's
0: yeah, nothing. Yeah, Go come ahead. on. What are you doing, Power Girl? Drawn by Bart <whistles> Sears, text by uh, Robert Greenberger. Once again, this is one of those things where, unfortunately, at the moment that Power Girl gets a listing in Who's Who, she's in the costume that, like, I don't think anybody likes. Is this the version? Bang. Really? People like this this the 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 this yellow uh, yellow creamsicle costume?
1: The guy you're talking to likes it because I know you call – I was waiting. I have it written down in my notes. It's not an omelet uh, because I know you like to call it the omelet costume because it looks like an egg white or whatever. But no. I, in fact, I think Bart Sears demonstrates here. This is actually supposed to be silver and gold I think is – what, rather than yellow and white. I think it's supposed to be silver and gold is what she's actually wearing. I think – and like if you look in the inset, I love the thing around the neck, like the, the mock turtleneck kind of thing she's got going. I think it looks really, really sharp. Because <laughs> if you look at Power Girl, right, her history, and we, we've totally, we're, we're way off on fashion now, but you know when Wally Wood first started drawing her in All Star Comics, he and Jerry Conway confirmed this. He every issue, he just kept drawing her boobs bigger, right, to the point where they wanted to see how far they could go, right. And that's why Power Girl is so overly endowed because Wally Wood was having fun. That's where why Power Girl looks ridiculous, and they just have run with it since then. In fact, the entry refers to her healthy physique at one point in here. So what's the right answer? Do you leave her with the boob window, which is, you know, I get why they do it in story. You know, it's to distract the guys or she hasn't earned the S yet or whatever. There's different things, but it's not. You know, I don't know. It's not female empowering. Well, I guess some people could argue that it is. But either way, it just seems like it's an inappropriate way to treat a female character. is, is sexually objectifier. So instead, put her in a costume that covers everything. So in this costume, everything's covered. The yellow as gold and silver. It looks pretty sharp together. I I like this costume. In the wrong hands, it's not drawn very well by a lot of artists. But I think in Bart Sears' hands, I think this costume looks fantastic here.
0: Okay. Fair enough. I just, you know, it, to me, this feels like the Black Canary, the, uh, that, that, you know, the jazzercise. the jazzercise costume. Like it's just like. I like the one that costume too, life. by the way. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, in the inset, we see her in the classic suit. Uh, she's flying towards the camera. We see her with Arion, of course, cause she's, that's his, that's her grandfather. Cause of course her origin had to be retconned. Because uh, he's not connected to Superman anymore, I love in the <laughs> I love in the, the the panel where she's getting surgery. Superman's in the background. He looks like he is as wide as he is tall. Like that's true. He is just massive. He looked he looks like a, a Masters of universe figure. I mean, just Bart's going <laughs> completely bonkers. Um, I know I harp on in this, but like again, her height and weight five seven one forty. Okay. No girl with boobs that big weighs 140 pounds. Like you just, your to, frame cannot support that.
1: I talked to my wife about this last okay. night. All right, I, I asked her. I said, "All right, help me out here. You know, a physically fit woman, uh, you know, bodybuilder style. You know, five foot seven. How much do you think?" And I said, "I didn't even show her the picture. I'm like, how much do you think she'd weigh?" And she sat there and she's like, nah, 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 "Maybe about 145." I was like, "Really?" She's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "I find that hard to believe," but. That's the number she came up
0: with. Okay. So, right. I we're going to have really to focus sick. test this. We can we can talk to the we can talk to Cindy, we can <laughs> talk to Liz, we can talk to the Oahu girls. We need to find this stuff out. It
1: doesn't seem like a realistic weight, but yeah. I mean the, the point my wife is making is like she doesn't you know if you're a bodybuilder you don't have an ounce of fat on you you're completely lean you're very very skinny but you know but muscle weighs more doesn't it or is that a myth I don't well,
0: know plus you but if you have giant all right I just I don't want to get on this but like if you have a
1: giant chest I don't know but how, how, how much does a boob really weigh
0: well but, but but I mean you you can't be bone thin and you can't not have an ounce of fat on you and have giant breasts that's not the way that works you can't
1: if Wally would create you
0: well <laughs> right because Wally yeah and that's the, why. He, That's why they didn't let Wally Wood generally do comics, uh, mainstream comics in the 70s.
1: The inset pictures, by the way, really try and hammer that home, too. The one where she's flying at you with all the cleavage and the one where they're about to operate on her. Like... The ridiculous mounds that they've had to cover with sheets as they're about to operate on it is sort of silly. But uh, I do like – they did something smart here, a couple different things. One was this is the depowered version of Power Girl, which they did in Just League Europe because they kind of looked at it and said, OK, we can't really have another Superman-level character out there. So they depowered her. They had her get injured and brought it down, which is I thought was a smart move. Um, the Atlantis stuff, I get why Paul Kupperberg did it. I wish he hadn't. I've said it before. I really think the right answer for Power Girl would have been just make her a Daxamite that would have been the right answer. Uh, in fact, you could have even said in post-crisis that she replaced Superboy in the Legion of Superheroes. She went to the future and she filled that role. That actually would have worked really, really nicely as a, a patch for the, for the Legion stuff. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, I guess, you know, one of the, oh, I wanted to mention, too, you know, she runs a computer company. Did you notice who her employee is in the computer company? Uh, no. Felicity Raymond, formerly Felicity Smoke, from Arrow. Oh, okay. For those of you who get all excited, and you're like, Felicity, really? The super hot girl from Arrow? Well, this is when she was a middle-aged uh, brunette. But anyway, uh, yes, yeah, she married Ed Raymond, Firestorm's dad. So this is actually, you know, working for Power Girl is Felicity Smoked, Firestorm's stepmother, which is super cool. Now, again, the Atlantis thing is very unfortunate, but thankfully in 2005-ish, uh, Jeff Johns sort of straightened all that out within, uh, during Infinite Crisis, and he basically said, you know what? Screw it. She's from Earth, too. And retcon and said basically, yeah, this whole time she's just from Earth 2, where she was supposed to be from, which was very nice of him to do. At this point, Justice League Europe was on issue number 21. And, of course, for more, you should listen to the Justice League International Wahaha podcast. We just had Power Girl show up in JLI uh, number 24, and we're about to start Justice League Europe. Can't wait.
0: And you are just relentlessly shilling that show in this episode. Well,
1: right, there's but- a whole lot of Justice League International characters. And, by the way, have you looked at who's on the cover of the next issue of Who's Who? I mm-hmm. have not it's the justice league cover.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Yep. Speaking of Justice League, uh, next up is the Royal Flush Gang, uh, which is I they are incredibly goofy characters, but I always have a soft spot for them. This yep. is these are the new versions. Uh, this is drawn by Steve Irwin and Alvey, the text is by Robert Greenberger. As I was reading this, I was unfamiliar with the sort of new versions. When I when I got to the point where it says King was transformed into an immortal, I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, I mean, the, the version um, – I mean, loved them from the 60s, and then I loved them when and they did that uh, three-parter that you and I covered on Fire and Water, JLA yeah. 18, 203 through 205. Those were really cool. Again, I'm not as familiar with these these newer versions, but nevertheless, I just – I have a soft spot for these characters. There's just something fun about a, a criminal gang that goes all out like this and wears these ridiculous costumes and fights crime. with. The, and I just like the name. The Royal Flush Gang is just very fun and old school.
1: Well, I think these are the same versions from that Justice League story we covered, but it's – like they've taken them a step further. Right. They did something where Ten has a, a – a, she's like, I don't know, Fagin with a group of cronies who work for her and stuff like that. Yeah. I think all that happened in New Titans because it mentions Danny Chase and then I stopped paying attention. But – um <laughs> Also worth mentioning, they appeared in Justice League International when they fought Booster Gold in that awesome issue, which you can hear about on Justice League International Blah, 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 blah Podcast. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you know I wasn't going to miss a trick there. And also you can hear more on Justice's First Dawn, of course. And I love the uh, inset picture. It just cracks me up where like Ace is ripping open the safe and the king's got all this money's being dropped into his lap, which almost looks like it's uh, – is that, wow, the color makes it look like there's no black lines on it, almost like it's a, a surprint or a, a dropped-in sort of thing. Either way, I just think it's super fun.
0: Yeah, I like it a lot. I I like to jack the character because, again, in, in JLA-205, he's the one who actually puts the moves on Black Canary, which I thought was just fantastic. <laughs> like He's a bad guy, but he's like, hey, let me see if I can put this together.
1: So it's cool. Well, Hi- Hijack was part of the Secret Society of Supervillains too, wasn't he? Uh, that's right.
0: Oh yeah, my God. came out yeah. of this group. Yeah. I like the final paragraph that Bob wrote. He says, uh, there is no doubt that the deck will one day be shuffled again with the Royal Flush gang resurfacing. Well <laughs> done. Well done. Awesome. I like it. Next up is Sarge Steele, another Charlton character. Of course, here he's drawn by Dick Giordano, who was the original artist for the character. I believe Dick Giordano said this was his favorite character, like that basically anytime Sarge Steele appeared, he wanted to draw it. Um, Here he's got his gun and he's got his uh, kind of robot hand. He's about to punch somebody. Uh, He first appeared in Sarge Steele, number one, December of 1964. Now, once again, they're inconsistent. Here, they just list the Charlton listing as the first appearance, not the first appearance of his appearance in the DC universe. Nevertheless, we see him in the inset with Amanda Waller, and then there's kind of uh, the, there's a double panel, which looks very much kind of like the Who's Who listing from the original series. That it has what that's what I thought, the too. Same
1: look to it. I thought, did they just drop this in here? And I'm like, no, nah, this must be new. But I'm like, gosh, this looks familiar. <laughs> now, I thought his first appearance was in the comic called Danger Trail. Wasn't that? No, no, that's, no? King, that's King Faraday. Uh... Okay. Yeah. He must have appeared in Danger Trail because they referenced Danger Trail in here. They put it in quotes, for like or somewhere where they say like when he's on the Danger Trail searching for people or something. They did like a that.
0: new Danger Trail miniseries
1: uh, in, in the early
0: nineties, okay. and he appeared That's, in that. Okay, all right.
1: Because yeah, Great. this is
0: this is a Charlton character. This is part of the yep. Charlton Action Heroes line that Dick Giordano helped bring about.
1: Do you see his group affiliation? Uh, the presidential cabinet. <laughs> what super and team is that? Her- well, well, they appointed him to be in charge of all the superhuman teams. So he's like in charge of the CBI, which is their version of the FBI. Checkmate, Captain Adam, all that stuff at this point. And I love this part here where it says he has no metahuman abilities, although his character is considered superhuman. Nice.
0: Well, he's got the robot hand. Sure. Why not? I mean, you know,
1: that counts. Right. Suicide Squad was on issue 48 at this point, where Oracle was facing the Joker. Very scary there. And Checkmate was on issue number 33. And for more on this character, you should check out Task Force X podcast by our buddy Aaron Head Moss.
0: All right. Next up, Snapper Car.
1: Now, I'm waiting. This, th- this, this, is, is, this is a real is, test for you, Rob. This
0: is, this is where I blow all the Vegas odds makers out of the water because I love this listing. I think this is phenomenal. It's drawn by Ty the Guy Templeton, and he's literally credited as that in here. Ty yep. the Guy Templeton. Text is by Mark Maynard Wade and colors by Anthony Tukul Talon. This is – i look, everybody knows I hate this character. He's stupid. I have hated him from the beginning. Nevertheless, this listing is Ginchy. Um, I love I love that it's got the go go checks. This is of course the new this not the new version it's the same character but it's like the the one with the powers now. He's part he'd been part of the blasters which Cisco uh, had actually covered I think on Invasion. Yes, um, do we even get an inset which is a diagram of how he snaps his fingers? <laughs> I I mean look this is this is absolutely the way to do it. Is just to just to lean into the goofiness, make it silly, have it reference the classic DC from the '60s. I the, I, I think I still say Copperhead is my favorite listing, just because I think the artwork is so great. But this is a close second. I think this is a wonderful list. I wish all of the listings in the Who's Who '90 series had been like kind of this clever. I think this is
1: beautiful. Mark Wade wrote the living hell out of this thing. Uh, here, I'm going to read a little bit from it. Snapper had just blown up a storm working in the family lawn one dowdy day when a starfish deputy ruled by that boast toasty Starro the Conqueror blew into Happy Harbor. Snapper played it cool and glom Starro's sergeant at arms. Anyway, it just goes on. It's just so freaking 60s ridiculous hip speak. It is the cleverest entry in the book. Is it my favorite entry in the book? Maybe. It's just that funny. It is absolutely hysterical. By the way, um, Mark Maynard Wade, do you get that reference? Uh, I'm assuming it's Maynard G. Krebs from Dobie Gillis. They're exactly right. And there's a whole big cycle here. i got to mention, Maynard G. Krebs, of course, played by um, Bob Denver. Denver, who also played Gilligan. Of course. There you go, Sean Ross. I promised you a Gilligan reference. I anyway, uh, who play- and do you know that Maynard G. Krebs – was the basis for the shaggy character in Scooby-Doo. I did know that, yes. Yes, so that's how it ties to me. In high school, I used to make up fake names, and I'd call myself Maynard all the time. So there we go. Anyway, uh, I love this thing, everything about it. You've already mentioned everything that I had written down. So uh, Ty Templeton just drew the hell out of it. Mark Wade wrote the hell out of it. So much fun.
0: I love on the the other insets, we see him with the the original Justice League, and then we see him on the right with the Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, it looks really, really cool.
1: And, and Siskoid explained how they are like the Guardians of the Galaxy. You should listen to that episode of Invasion Podcast and go, oh my gosh, the Blaster Special was actually kind of good. We, none of us remembered that. Uh, so the Blaster Special was two years ago prior to this at this point, And it's going to take another two years for him to really show up again. And that's in the uh, Valor book at that point. And again, for more Snapper Car, check out Justice's First Dawn Podcast. And of course, as we mentioned, the Invasion Podcast. Good stuff. Good stuff. And by well, this, is, this, one... is, this is going on the blog, guys. Or on, on the pe- website, guys. Front and back.
0: One thing I do want to mention the inset uh, portrait. That does not look like the work of Ty Templeton. That looks like the work of Dick Dillon and uh, Sid Green. Uh, hmm. And I don't know whether that is literally just they took a panel from a JLA 60s comic and, and statted it in. Or it is Ty Templeton just completely doing a riff on that style. But it doesn't look even remotely like a Ty Templeton drawing.
1: So well, I, Ty, Ty, Ty had some muscles he could flex. He could do some different right, stuff. I'm saying. willing to bet that's Ty.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Well, it's anyway, it's great. I love this listening. It's just terrific. So uh, Next up is Vi, who is Shrinking Violet. Uh, drawn by Mike Leake and Al Gordon. And uh, this is but ugly. This yeah. is absolutely – I have been very positive through this whole book, I think, for the most part. I think this thing is – I'm sorry, Mr. Leake. I... This thing is just hideous. I don't know – she looks like Frankenstein on the inset, on the back. Uh, I just I... – I couldn't turn right. the page faster, uh, fast enough on this one.
1: I can explain a little bit. Uh, the the, the perspective is interesting. She is shrunk down, and she's inside a machinery doing something, and Rock Crin is looking in, watching her. So the concept is fine. Um, uh, Le- this guy Leek, the artist, uh, what's his first name? Mike. Mike. He, previous to this, was drawing Robotech Comics, which explains the technology, uh, at the Elemental series, and went on to draw some stuff for Valiant. He is being inked by Alvey, and what's happening here is they're trying to ape... The Keith Giffen scratchy style done in the five-year-later style Mm. of the Legion book – Unfortunately, just didn't work for them. Now, Alve is the inker on Keith Giffen in that series, so probably what this is is a very weak leak drawing, and Alve is trying to make it look like Keith Giffen. I think is what's happening. It is disappointing all the way around. You're right. It's just
0: very stiff. The guy, the Rock Crin's face is like has no emotion. He's just sort of staring blank. It. I mean, you know, Shrinking Violet's a cool power set. She can shrink. She's the atom of the Legion, and but it just. Visually. And just the colors are very drab. Everybody's in
1: gray. It's, it's, well, um... that, that's the way they colored 5YL. So that's not on a line. And, and, and to be fair, the proportions are all fine. It's not like they, you know, a Rob Liefeld crazy drawing. It's just not well executed yeah. is what it boils down to. Yeah. So uh, once again, there are a lot of references to her relationship with uh, Aylia, the Rands, the lightning last girl. Uh, now that might make a little more sense to you now that you understand what's going on okay. there. There is this whole story that they they barely touch on, which is interesting, where she was kidnapped and locked away for months in, like, a sensory deprivation tank, and she was replaced by a duplicate, and this duplicate then went on to marry Colossal Boy. Those are the only Legion comics I've read. Okay. Well, there you go. We, which it's, it's funny. A lot of people go, well, wait a minute. Didn't Fantastic Four do that with uh, the, the Skrull pretending to be Alicia Masters because Human Torch and Skrull got married and then she became Elijah and joined the, the Fantastic Four? Yes. That same story happened. Legion did it first, folks. So don't ever forget that also referenced in here, and they go into a lot of detail explaining it, is Venado Bay. For the earliest part of the Legion series, uh, the the, the 5YL, there was this mystery about what happened to Venado Bay and why did Cosmic Boy lose his powers there. And it's all explained here. Basically what happened is her homeworld of Imsk went to war with Cosmic Boy's homeworld of Brawl. And she fought out for Imsk, and he fought for Brawl, and it, it's sort of like if Florida and New Jersey went to war, and you fought for New Jersey, and I fought for Florida, and we had to commit horrible crimes against each other's country, you know, uh, states, and at the end of it, we had to go back to podcasting together. So there is a lot of. Uh, tension they're friends but there's tension between vi and cosmic boy now because you know she lost an eye in the war he lost his powers in the war and yet now and they were fighting against each other and now they're on the same team again so that was kind of an interesting uh drama that was out, was playing out throughout the whole series okay <laughs> and uh definitely check out legion super vloggers uh for more information on them
0: All right, and last – well, not the – next to last, uh, we have Wildcat, the new version Wildcat 2, created by Rod – Roy, excuse me. I I combined Roy and Todd. Roy Thomas and Todd McFarlane, she first appeared uh, – Yolanda Montez, she first appeared in Infinity, Inc. number 12, and then as Wildcat in Crisis number 6. We see her on the inset with Infinity, Inc., and we see her at work there. Um, And it does talk about that – and here, I remembered what – she got – Crippled, right? When no, no, no Wildcat, Wildcat got crippled. That's right. Well, they're both Wildcat, but yeah, he got right. crippled. The original Wildcat, he gets zapped in the legs with a lightning bolt. It talks about her that she's. Um, I like that she's, <laughs> she's. a journalist, and it says this Wildcat, Yolanda fought along. He fought evil alongside the members of Infinity Inc. Such. Time as that until such times that group disbanded. She's currently in semi-retirement, concentrating on her professional career as a reporter for the magazine Rockstars <laughs> <laughs> Something about that, I just, I just really enjoy. I, that feels like she should uh, interview uh, the conglomerate with all their names like Reverb Aww. and stuff like that. It's good that kind of thing to it. Um, I never had a huge feeling about this character one way or the other. I was a little uncomfortable of them shuffling off the classic jSAers to kind of replace them all. With younger versions, but I also understood why they did it. Um, I don't have a lot of history with this character, and it doesn't – Powers and Weapons, it's very funny. She gets two sentences uh, for Powers and Weapons.
1: Yeah. She uh, – it's an interesting character, and uh, they're, they're, her history goes back even further. She, was, I, If I remember right, she was originally going to be part of Infinity, Inc., but they have like a – there's even a promotional picture of Infinity, Inc. with a girl on a motorcycle that looks like a cat, if I remember correctly. Really? I remember that. Uh, I, I might have some of that fact wrong in there. Forgive me. Someone else who's writing in the comments already, please share that because I can't remember all the details right now. But um, you know, she, she's connected with this whole Helix thing with Mr. Bones again, which is uncomfortable. Uh, she's also got a cousin who is Caracio or whatever. We covered him before. He's like the human shark from uh, from Infinity Inc. You know, she's a cat. He's a fish. I, I Carcero, like I think is how you say it. There, yeah. He's a she's a cat. He's a fish. I feel like it's the <clears> setup at <throat> the beginning of a joke that just didn't get played out. Uh, I don't know. Now, the thing – she's an interesting character, and they developed her, and I, I like what they did with her. They, they killed her, unfortunately, in Eclipso a couple – um, about three years after this. She died in Eclipso, and um, she never came back, really. They, they were done with her, uh, and they replaced her again with another Wildcat after that. Did they but really? Oh, my god Yeah, goodness. well, um, Ted Grant had a son. Um, and actually he may have gone by the name Tomcat if I, I can't remember But they, they definitely had a, a subsequent version Now interesting what, what, and Again, stuff's occurring to me that I never thought of before When I'm reading these things uh, Ted Grant, she's his goddaughter right? right? There's a lot of goddaughters and godsons With the Infinity, Inc. people Like the JSA must have been very, very religious Because, uh, you know Northwind, he's a godson as well So there's a, there's a lot of that going on there Um she hadn't really appeared much before this because two years ago, was when Infinity Inc was canceled, and that was really about it. So uh, she's she's a bit of a footnote in history. Uh, Jeff Johns tried to do something with her a little bit, where they brought in like her cousin, another cousin, who went on to become Eclipso, like a good version of Eclipso for a short while in the JSA series, um, which was kind of interesting. And then they went a whole different direction after Infinite, um, uh, whatever it was called, Identity Crisis. But um, so anyway. A good character, worthwhile, didn't get a chance to really explore her enough before they got rid of her.
0: All right. Uh, and then the final listing, which is sort of kind of not really officially in the book because it's not on the uh, the bar on the cover. It just says that on the – Well, on the, what?
1: it does mention it on the cover. No, it
0: mentions it, but I'm saying on the list – like the list on the left-hand side of the oh, page, see. it doesn't list it.
1: Um, Did you, you notice how they list it? What do you mean? Well, they say extra yeah. fold-out poster of the Fortress of Solitude. Yes. And the reason they say that is because they did Atlantis, remember, a couple months ago, and they said map, and they got like nerd angry letters. It's not a map, and so so you know Michael Urey had to like apologize to people in the letters page like sorry, Atlantis wasn't a map. Oh and my gosh, God. get over I'm it.
0: Rolling like my eyes so poster. heavily here, I just wonder why it's not listed on the left hand side because it gets it's a listing like anything else.
1: It's hmm. it's,
0: it's listed as technology. It's Superman's it's Superman's okay. Fortress of Solitude. Historical first appearance was in Superman number fifty eight from nineteen forty nine. The current version is eventually Superman number four sixty one, drawn by Dan Jurdens and Brett Breeding, and text by Roger. Stern, and it folds out, and we see Superman flying over, and we see all we see the um, him in his uh, spacesuit, and then we see the statues of Jor-el and Lara. We see his rocket ship that he came to Earth in. There's a whole bunch of other cool stuff. So, I mean, you know, hey, it. it the Bat Cave remains like my favorite of somebody's headquarters. Uh, well, the Aqua Cave is actually my favorite, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, this is really cool. I mean, it's the modern version of the Fortress of Solitudes. It was one of the neatest ideas. And there's really quite an extensive history as a registrar gets into uh, on the back. I mean, this thing f- almost fills up all three columns.
1: Yeah. If you read the Superman books in the 90s Or the late 80s and 90s the, the Burn era if you will If you want to call it that This poster gives you the feels It really does The, the image as you said of jor and Laura In their you know post-crisis Kryptonian outfit looks so cool. That armor you said was space armor? Actually, that's a different... That's an armor Superman had to wear when he didn't have any powers in the Crisis of Crimson Kryptonite. The the giant Kryptonian battle suit was used so many different times. Doesn't
0: he go into he, space with that outfit though? What, am I thinking of something else? I thought I remembered a Mignola cover where he's in that in that suit in outer space. Maybe I'm um, Not
1: to my knowledge. There's okay. a scene where he's in, in outer space and he's wearing a little breath mask on
0: okay. his Okay. Maybe I'm th- I might be thinking of something he,
1: else. He wore this specific suit when he didn't have any powers. Um... And then uh, you see Kalex who's like the robot sentry who operates in there. I, oh, I love this thing so much. And, and the whole thing with the Eradicator, who's created the fortress in, in the post-crisis, created the Fortress of Solitude, it's just basically this device that wants to maintain the Kryptonian heritage, comes to Earth, set, creates... It, it turns evil and tries to do all kinds of bad stuff, but the end result is they end up with this Fortress of Solitude, which is very Kryptonian-esque. Eventually, Superman goes on, and I don't remember what point this is, but he goes on to put a second group of statues... In the in the hall where it's got um, Ma and Pa Kent holding up the Earth, which is pretty cool, having both sets there, which is really nice. But just absolutely love this. Again, if you love the the, the especially like the triangle era of Superman, this poster will just make you feel awesome. Uh, oh, the Krypton man, so much good stuff came from this. Anyway, loved it, loved it, loved it. And Jan Jurgens drawing it, perfect, absolutely perfect.
0: That's good stuff. So that's and, the uh, issue, Robert. That's and I it.
1: Ask the, at the, I ask you at the end of each one of these, what are your favorite entries? In this well.
0: Clearly, Copperhead
1: uh, okay. and
0: Snapper Carr are okay, really good. two the two favorites. I would have to say
1: those are on my list as well. I also include the Fortress picture because I just love it. Uh, Alien oh, and Rans. Lightning, Lightning, yeah, yeah Alan yep.
0: Rands. thats one that's yep. terrific.
1: And I and I put the Power Girl entry on there because I think it just looks totally awesome.
0: Okay,
1: all right. Well, um, why don't we take a quick podcast promo break, and then when we come back, folks, we're going to do your listener feedback, Mister Bones. Mr. Bones, how do you feel, Mr. Bones? Rattling. Mr. Bones feels rattling. Ha, ha, that's a good one. Tell a little story, Mr. Bones.
0: A funny little story, Mr. Bones. Born out of violence, adopted in chaos. Teenager Cassandra Kane is seeking the answer to a question. If nurture can undo nature. Raised to be an assassin, Cassandra is trying to burn the pages of her past and write a whole new future.
1: back for Who's Who, How's and Why's, which is your feedback. Before we get started, folks, we do want to ask if you don't mind, please, please go out to iTunes and leave us a review. It would really, really be appreciated. It helps raise the profile of the show. It helps more people find the show. And we are having people find the show every month. In fact, we're gonna read some letters from some new folks today. And so we just we want to have more people come out here or fans of Who's Who, join our community and find reasons for y'all to tell Rob and I why we're wrong about all the stuff we say, which is excellent. So we would love for that. And as a reminder uh we are going to be pulling your comments from our website and your and your emails. We did make a change we mentioned it last month. we're going forward we're really just going to be pulling the website comments iTunes reviews and emails. We're not going to be pulling comments from social media it just it's gotten to be a little too much to uh, sort of juggle so uh but we will still of course say who shared the show on social media you know um just to acknowledge that so but we are going to make one special exception folks. this is a long distance dedication to Joe Cabrera. Joe was super cool during the last episode and was live tweeting during the li- well, he was listening to the last episode <laughs> telling us his thoughts and then sadly he gets to the part of the show halfway through where we say, we're not going to read tweets anymore. So I am so sorry, Joe. We left you hanging in the wind. So I will read one that he wrote. He says uh, he, he was on, I guess it was episode four and he says i'm bummed that i finally almost caught up with who's who we just one episode to go at least i have rob's wonderful line from the penultimate episode to keep me warm and you want to read it rob? uh will
0: you please shut up and stop talking about troya
1: <laughs> exactly so that's awesome thank you joe you are an absolute champ we appreciate the support and next month we'll be watching for your comments on our website rob what's that website again fireandwaterpodcast.com Excellent. All right. Well, our first comment comes from, oh, and I should mention, as we're reading your comments, uh, I put all this together in a document so that Rob and I can review it and figure out what we want to read. It's 26 pages long. Seriously, with cutting back feedback, it's still 26 pages. I'm not making that up. It, and that's at 11-point font, you know, single-spaced. So we're just cherry-picking. We're just reading bits and pieces, trying to bring out some of the interesting stuff. Also acknowledge everyone in the left comments, so we won't be reading your full comments, but we're reading bits and pieces. So first one comes from Aaron Head Moss, our buddy over at the Headcast Network. Does shows like Task Force X podcast and many, many more. He comments about Dr. Light. And we talked about Dr. Light was dead. And he says, well, Dr. Light may be dead at this point in the DCU. He does return in issue 52 of Suicide Squad uh, out the same month as Who's Who number nine. Hmm. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate that.
0: All right, there. The more you know. Uh, Gord, <laughs> Gord Tolden from Ranger Gord's Roundup blog, History and General Musings of the Past and Present. He says, you're doing a vigilante show? Talk about find my joy. Yeehaw, partners.
1: He is a huge Vigilante fan. And there's comments later which didn't get highlighted about how much he loves Vigilante, which is awesome. Uh, we heard from Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom podcast and also DC OCD. It says DC published a Son of Vulcan miniseries in 2005 because I had mentioned that uh, about there was a new Son of Vulcan. It was about a kid with a giant sword. And he goes it was by Scott Beatty and it rocks. He also appeared in War of the Gods and that sucked. <laughs> and Paul should know because he recently reread it for the DC OCD podcast. woo. Uh, Dr. Ange uh, from the Supergirl
0: blog Comic Books Commentary and a legion of super bloggers regarding the Batmobile. He says his favorite is also the 40 sedan with the big head on the hood. It feels so film noir. Yeah, you can't help but uh, start imagining like the 1940s Batman movie that they never made, which of course would have starred Gene Tierney as Catwoman.
1: They, they did make a nineteen bat, forties uh, Batman movie. It was a uh, black and white series.
0: Well, the movie that I mean, like a full budget <laughs> Hollywood movie. Come on, stop I know it. what
1: you mean. I know Cripple. what you mean. Uh, Ange then goes on about chemo or chemo, depending on our chemo. I, I like chemo anyway. He says uh, he first met him in DC Comics Presents issue with the Metal Men, where he shot into the sun to save the solar system. Then read his origins in the Metal Men Digest, and he says, by the way, we should cover that on Digest Cast. Hmm, I think he might be right. And then he says, as I say, those Metal Men stories gave me a vocabulary with Words like malleable, ductile, corrosive, etc. Look at that. Maybe the metal men are what guided you on your path to being a doctor, Doctor Ange. And he talks about Jonah from, uh, of course, Ultra Boy from Legion of Superheroes in Five YL, uh, Five Year Later era. And he says, I 100% agree with Shag. I could just stop the sentence there, couldn't I? Uh, I 100% agree with Shag that the first 12 issues of the 5YL Legion book are magnificent and should be read by everyone. Daring and complex and wonderful. And he says you can read his reviews over at the Legion of Superbloggers to see his deeper thoughts. And they really were exceptional reviews. You should check those out. Regarding the Riddler, he says, Shag, you saying Aston is the Riddler
0: shows me that you must have significant brain damage. Everyone, I mean everyone loves Gorson's take. And I've been saying about that about Shag for years, but uh, but Ange is a medical professional, so I, I think that we can take that to the bank now. He says, don't you remember Senator Lloyd Benson's famous statement? Mr. Aston, I served with Frank Gorshin. I knew Frank Gorshin. Frank Gorshin was a friend of mine. Mr. Aston, you're no Frank Gorshin. All right. Fair enough. Now, clearly, Ange didn't hang around to listen to right, the that, right, section. You eventually copped to the fact that you were just mistake. You were flip-flopping the names. Yes. I had them mixed up.
1: Yes, right. Frank Gorshin is absolutely
0: the best riddler. So. Yeah. All right. Uh David is Gutierrez. uh he's the Pod uh, Dylan executive producer and uh that's it. He says welcome the back. Owner and uh, operator of the Kata- I'm going every long. month I'm going to do this. To the epic every month of a podcast from his OC katana badana Such a confusing stance from a guy who likes the Omega Men.
1: You're going to have to no one could hear you because I was talking over you. Yeah, I know you are.
0: Katana Badana. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, brain damage. He says, "Welcome back. It's been far too long. Still listening to this epic poem of a podcast, but I'm so glad to see Robs and still his anti lsh form. Such a confusing stance from a guy who likes the Omega Men.
1: That's a fair point. Yeah, you like the Omega Men, but hate Legion of. Super- is it because is it because the Omega Men had less issues to read or something? I don't know. I
0: just because the Omega Men aren't superheroes, they're space characters. It's the oh my uh, gosh. D- Okay." Hey, I was very complimentary to Ayla Rands this episode, so come on. She was hot.
1: <laughs> uh, Chuck Coletta chimed in because there was this big discussion going on about the Flash and Trickster on the Flash 90s TV series because apparently David takes issue with everything I say. Uh, Chuck Coletta chimed in because Robin talked about Prank, who was the female character, uh, Trickster's partner, which is kind of, we, we see her as a predecessor to Harlequin. He says, Frank, uh, Prank turned up on the Flash CW series last season, again played by the same actress, uh, Corinne Bower, and she's the mom of the new trickster that's How great clever is that? that's wonderful i love and that they mark, made the effort to get her that's cool that's so great yeah and then mark baker wright chimes in he goes perhaps i'm being too generous to shag but i'm happy to say that while i loved mark hamill's character on the flash it's probably correct to say that he wasn't really the trickster so much as a misnamed joker before mark hamill finally landed the joker role for real thank you mark i appreciate you backing me up
0: yeah i'd say that's fair uh, Chris Franklin from our network, of course. He does a JLU cast, Superman Movie Minute with me. Is the Batmobile Rob Loves is famously known as the Batmobile of 1950 because that was the name of the story it debuted in from Detective 156 designed by the great Dick Sprang. It replaced the previous 40s Batmobile, which had a similar look, but was a stock sedan with a bat head and fin added on. This is also my favorite comic-related Batmobile, followed by the 1978 Super Power, Superfriend Superpowers version, also seen on this page. Yeah. Regarding Our Man, he says, Rob, I totally agree that Conway Prez, JLA, JSA versus SSOSV crossover totally sold me on Our Man. I knew that Chris, I knew somebody out there would, would have a, an affection for that particular couple of pages. And, of course, it was Chris because I'm still not convinced that we, not, uh, separate, we were not separated at birth or something <laughs> like that. So, uh, yeah, we're the two identical podcasters. So wait, thank you for backing me up on that, Chris. Like I said, That's, uh, I would, An Our Man comic yeah. by George Perez would have been a bestseller.
1: Anything drama. Well, that's, stories, true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, that's true. Matt Hatter, he says his continuity is very confusing. Uh, until Batman the Animated Series, I always preferred that version, um, meaning the original, uh, the TV, uh, the 60s TV show version, over the Alice-inspired one. But Roddy McDowell's performance and some great stories won me over to liking them both pretty equally. <laughs> I, You know, I don't know that we mentioned Roddy McDowell's performance as uh, Jarvis Tetch, and he was great. In that, the Animated oh Series. Gosh. Yeah, we did. Make, yeah. yeah, no, we don't think we did. I think it was on to say the penguin. I really hated the quote, he's fat, but he's tough bit with the penguin. Uh, DC really struggled with how to make the character work in a now darker Batverse verse until Chuck Dixon made him a behind the scenes player with the iceberg lounge a few years after this. Yeah, that was a. Chris is right. That was a great reimagining for the Penguin. Then we heard from our buddy Michael Bailey from the Fortress of Bailey 2 Podcast Networking. Um, a number of shows over there, and he also does From Crisis to Crisis, which we've mentioned. He goes on about Cyborg, and I'm going to read a few Cyborg comments throughout this uh, feedback, because there's some good thoughts on Cyborg. It says, Rob brought up a lot of good points about how prosthetics have advanced, and thanks to the last 16 years have become more commonplace. I think Cyborg is a little different, though. He didn't lose an arm and, or a leg, or even both his legs. A large portion of him is no longer him, and it's not even Steve Austin where he could still pass where, um, uh, where, for what we insultingly refer to as normal. It seems like the mother box has been his cross to bear more recently. Then again, there was a storyline where he had to get rid of his lungs to increase his power. I remember that. That was in a new 52. Oh, that was horrible. Uh, which made him even less human. So they can still play with the feelings of not being a human thing. So yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good way that they've really uh, kept that going, Rob, to make him feel alienated. Then, about Jimmy Olsen, he says Rob brought up that Jack Larson was offered his own Jimmy Olsen series, but he left out the creepy part of the story. They offered it to him after George Reeves had died. <clears throat> Sorry, George Reeves had died, and wanted to use a stand-in for new shots and stock footage for shots of Superman in action. Larson thought that this was disgusting and turned him down. I didn't know I, that I didn't, part. I didn't know that either. Oh, that's terrible. That that is horrendous. That's oh my god. That's. Good. I'm glad Jack Larson did that.
0: Seriously, um, we got a comment from Ryan Daly, of course, from our network. He does Cheers, Cast, Nightcast, maybe, and more. Ugh, he says, that wow, more, more, that was a dig." He says Norm Brayfogle is my Batman artist. I agree with how Rob described his work. It's stylized in such a way that only Brayfogle can pull it off, and imitators beware. Having said that, not a fan of his Batmobiles. My preference are the TV cartoon and the Superpowers toy versions.
1: Yeah, I, I love that Super Friends. I mean, I, I like the Brayfogle one, but that Superpowers version is just so boss. Uh, then we heard from Mike Lacroix Le, CD from the Canadian Military History Podcast. Um, he's talking about how with the. Uh, The topic came up about do heroes create the villains kind of thing, and he says, the in-universe argument against the activities of our favorite superheroes is that when you have a hero capable like Batman, you then get a villain like the Joker to balance that hero out. The citizens then have to deal with a threat able to meet the challenge of the hero, and if a hero wasn't there, the villain would have never been in existence. The whole chicken and the egg argument. And you had a discussion about the Flash's rogues turning good after the death of Barry Allen. This, in essence, adds weight to the in-universe theory that that we've all read so many times times that's interesting yeah Uh, without the hero do the villains show up and once Barry Allen disappears the rogues all kind of quit being criminals interesting thought thanks Mike right
0: Uh, we got a comment from someone just named Josh he says just discovered this podcast want to thank you for the excuse to go back to the characters I loved as a kid reading comics in the early 80s I still miss the original multiverse and a DC Comics that had room for Alan Moore's Swamp Thing and the Zoo Crew. I look forward to catching up on the podcast with my copies of Who's Who by
1: my side. Thank you, Josh. Nice. Welcome aboard, Josh. Heard from Jeff R., And he says, (laughs) this is great, (laughs) there's a reason Cyborg's entry stops after his origin, because nothing else happens to him. There's really only one story that even works for him, where he gets a new, more human-looking cyborg body, and they blew that on the first three-parter during that lame-duck Tales of the New Teen Titans year. He's got an origin villain that's unreusable, mindless blob, a relationship with his father that's only one-dimensional, and a red tornado's girlfriend without, without the adorable little girl for whose sake they stay together despite having zero chemistry. Too little to drive stories, but enough to keep him from having any romantic plot lines with the rest of the cast. All that he ever gets to do is uh, alternate between reliable team member and Changeling's Jiminy Cricket. Wow! <laughs> that was a total attack on Cyborg, but I'm not going to say he's wrong. Uh, then we hear from Ian Fletcher. He says, This era of Batman really started amping up the psychometer on many of his rogues gallery, but I think that the Iron Age visited Batman earlier than it did other comics, and it worked to an extent better in Gotham than it did in the rest of the comic universe. You know, you got a good point, Ian. The the dark, dark, darkity, dark 90s, uh, it works well in Batman and doesn't work in a lot of other books. Uh, I had mentioned Dark Knight, Dark City last episode, and he goes, one additional thought, Dark Knight, Dark City uh, plotline was fantastic. I really like the idea of something being responsible for shaping the Batman into what he is. Even though Batman rejects the idea, which I endorse, it gives a feeling that Gotham itself has a soul The plot spoke about a character of the city and the impossible nexus of crime and suffering that not only inspired the creation of the Batman, but it needs the Batman. It needs a Dark Knight to keep hope alive. Yeah, I'd forgotten how deep that story was. Yeah, good stuff. Great stuff. Then we heard from our buddy Siskoid, who's part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does shows like the FW Team Up, the upcoming Zero Hour show, and much more, of course. He says that Poison Ivy entry was the basis for my friend Carolyn's Halloween costume some years ago. We had a comic book theme, and she was flipping through the who's who for ideas and decided she could make the classic Ivy work uh, sorry the ivy look work and he posted a picture of it very cool then uh we got a comment from gene hendricks i'm not going to read it but it was just more of a, a personal jab at me uh because i was uh commenting about meeting gene last time and uh i i, I didn't give his family enough credit so i'm sorry gene i should have i definitely should have mentioned your wife and daughter first
0: you just look at gene's hat gene's jacket and you start f- falling asleep
1: <laughs> it is a Star Trek motion picture jacket, folks.
0: There you go. Uh, Lou Reed Richards sent it. <laughs> I love that handle. Uh, he, he says, hi, Robin Chag. First off, loving the continuing coverage of Who's Who. The loose-leaf edition is my least favorite iteration of this concept, but, your, sh- but your show more than makes up for any shortcomings that this new format has. That's a true testament to the quality of your show because some of these entries are awful.
1: <sighs> oh, Lou Re- oh, Lou Reed Richards. He's taking a walk uh, they- on the
0: wild side there. <laughs>
1: Then Lou gave us his origin story, and I'm just uh, going to read bits and pieces of it here. It says he was born in 1972, but he's a bit of a latecomer to comics. He bought G.I. Joe for a couple of years before migrating over to Marvel superheroes, really getting into the middle of Secret Wars thanks to the toys. And then the comics bug hit big time, and his life was changed forever. I didn't have much experience with DC outside of the mandatory usual stuff like the Super Friends and the Superman movies and, of course, the Batman TV show. I saw the first issue of Who's Who on the Stands with that big Aquaman image, and I passed on it. Something about it seemed intimidating and a little unreal. I wasn't ready for the insanity of the DCU just yet. A few months passed, and my uh, nascent comic knowledge started to grow by leaps and bounds with the prodding from a schoolmate who showed me issue number four. I felt emboldened enough to check out issue five, and I was hooked. I was blown away by how cool and crazy everything seemed to be. There was a lot to take in. Earth one, Earth two, Earth three, what? The Far Future, The Ancient Past, Composite Superman, but I loved it all. Well, maybe not Composite Superman. and couldn't wait to get to the next issues. Obviously... Obviously, Lou Reed has been listening to us by uh, making a composite Superman joke. Thank you. And he says, "In the end, I was still much more of a Marvel kid, but I made several forays into the DCU that I might not have ever made if not for Who's Who. Plus, it taught me about a lot of great comics history, classic storylines, and an artists who are still favorites today. Plus, it introduced me to the work of Steve Rude, which that alone would be enough to like the series. Absolutely." Then he goes on to say, uh, regarding Chaz uh, Brazewell's artwork, he was a local guy here in Birmingham, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and even had some coverage in the local newspaper, along with Mark Martin of the Nat Rat fame. Not sure what happened to him, but I was really rooting for him to make it big. Well, thank you so much, Lou Reed Richards, for your comments. We sincerely appreciate it. Next up is Max Traver.
0: He says, that Kevin McGuire cover, sorry, not a cover, makes me miss the days when Poison Ivy didn't just wear a handful of leaf-shaped stickers for her costume. But, hey, I also (laughs) liked her better when she wasn't linked to a bunch of Planet Elemento mumbo-jumbo. What, a tolerance to poison, some poison lipstick, and a fixation on plants? Is that enough to get you a rest in a Gotham City these days? Jeez. (laughs)
1: That was great. I love that. Then we hear from Martin Gray, who from the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog, and he was a recent guest on my JLI Bwahaha podcast show. You're right, I am shilling a lot this mm, time. <laughs> oh well, almost like I'm a, like uh, I live for it, or that I have a marketing degree or something. Anyway, uh, Martin goes on to say, Gil Kane's Sonar is the best thing in the book. That costume remains one of the finest in comics. You know, Martin, you're not wrong. That was a hell of an entry. Uh, and he says he loved Lanos and he complimented Zoomy Kanori for that entry. Well, well done. And then on Son of Vulcan, uh, he said, he, you know, uh, the miniseries, he, he talked about that. He says, I read a few issues. I wasn't keen. It give me the hunk and a miniskirt any day. <laughs> Thank you for that. Really appreciate that, Martin. Then we heard from Diablo Frank from the World Spine Podcast Network, the Marvel Super podcast, Podcast, um, the Spawnometer, meter and many more. Now, folks, as you may know, historically, Frank Uh, usually writes a dissertation on who's who, and Frank is in fine form this time. Let me tell you, folks, he wrote over 3,300 words on the last issue. Oh, my gosh. And uh, I cherry-picked a a lot more than I usually do, actually, because Frank was so on point. I mean, he was clearly on his meds this time. He has got some great stuff in here. So he goes on to say about Cyborg. At Shag's urging, I read the cyborg entry, and his assessment was correct. I never particularly liked the demographic desirable ben grimm that's what he calls cyborg but this telling of his origin was more compelling than any actual cyborg story i've ever read wolfman put forth such an intriguing premise only to immediately turn vic into a vegetable for the next few years in the comics and then infected him with the transmode virus and shipped him off to the cybertron or wtf whatever it took jeff johns to finally write that downward trajectory over a decade later as one of dc's most prominent persons of color. I've done a lot of thinking about how to make Cyborg the black icon DC keeps trying to sell audiences on. I do think it's possible, and this Who's Who entry is one of the best starting points in that direction, not the least of which a prime Grummett Veit art. Absolutely, Frank. Wow, that was really great. I was on I wasn't crazy or psycho at all. Then he goes on to talk about the extremists, did extreme comics better, and first, despite my my disdain for the excessive analogs that began sprouting up like weeds in the 1990s, I can't help but get swept away in the fun and unusual sampling of the Marvel villains cloned for the DCU. Besides, after all the exploitation of Squadron Supreme, turnabout was fair play. (laughs) <laughs> Good point because Rob was all like extremists, some nineties. Well they were they did it for a Great imitation of me. Thank you. No, my imitation of you is <laughs> Um He says, uh okay, this is this is to us, Rob. He says you really need to incorporate the impact who's who into the run of Loose Leafs rather than leaving it to serve as a deeply misguided coda to this show. <laughs> what are you sorry is gonna do with all your free time anyway? <sighs> It's a fair point. We really don't need to end on impact, so we got to figure out some way to incorporate that. I don't know about that, but okay. We also talks about you sighing 30 times per episode, so I don't know. We'll have to figure that one out. That's
0: just what I do. I just do it. I do it a lot at work, apparently. I could just sigh a lot. I'm sorry.
1: No, he's talking about you would do that during an impact episode. Oh, during impact. Uh,
0: you know? Okay. Well, we'll but see. But
1: here – you he, he comes back, though. You're going to like this. He says, I'm with Rob on the five-year-later Legion. Cut your hair and put on a proper costume, you scraggly bums. <laughs> I read most of Giffen's run straight through and then skimmed the rest of the beer bomb stuff, and I just don't get the praise. It's fine. It's a bold new direction. It's very much a product of its time, and it's already a bit tedious just a few years on. And I never appreciated how unfriendly and uninviting the storytelling was given the return on the investment Giffen demanded. So there you go. I wanted to read that just to someone else who's not singing the praises of that era. There you go, Rob. You have an ally in Diablo Frank, and that alone should make you terrified. Okay. (laughs) He says, I really appreciate Rob's take on the Martian Manhunter entry being a rare instance of displaying actual heroism instead of just doing another flashy pinup shot. And I'll try to remember that the next time I shrug at it. (laughs) He's our Martian Manhunter guy, so clearly he's not thrilled with that entry. Hmm. Then then he says about Nightshade, this is my favorite thing in the whole thing. I know it's very basic, but I really dug the oh-so-80s Nightshade. She looks like a Patrick Nagel-designed and Annie Lennox Jane Fonda Spandex Hybrid for Jamie Gertz. Oh, my gosh. That sounds good to me. There's so much 80s in that. It's incredible. That was brilliant, Frank. I probably didn't do it just as reading it. Folks, it's comment M on the website. Go check it out. Uh, And then he says about Nightshade, she's also the rare DC heroine with no explicit derivation of a male hero. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if she turned up in the DC expanded universe sooner rather than later, like maybe the James Gunn soft reboot. That's interesting. She doesn't – she's not an analog of a male character. Now, I will tell you there is a connection though, and I never noticed it until Martin Gray pointed out to me. Her and Captain Adam came up together in Charlton, right? He's Adam. She's Eve. So there is a connection there. But for the most part, she is a solitary character. Did you ever catch the Adam and Eve thing? I did not. Isn't that crazy? Now, Poison Ivy. Another dig at Poison Ivy. It says, has Poison Ivy ever had a good costume? We all recognize her in the variations on the floral theme and green leotards. But objectively, has she ever had a particularly good look? Isn't it really just sex appeal and the quality of a given rendition that sells her? That's an interesting interpretation. Hmm. Um, I'm not going to say he's wrong. He says about Sonar, Sonar is another dude that people think of as dorky, inspiring awful redesigns like beige Magneto and metronome Metallo. But I adore the Bolero-Napoleon scene. His whole thing is what happens when a child picks up a tuning fork and goes pew pew. And I'm here (laughs) for that. Not everyone has to be a homicidal maniac. That is a great way to sum up sonar. Very good. Thank you so much, Frank. Again, folks, go out and read his dissertation. It's excellent. It's out on the website. Then we heard from my buddy Adam Ackerman, who goes by Centaurin. Uh, he likes to write poems lately. That's his stick. So he writes, remember with poison ivy, leaves of three, let it be. Leaves of five, let it jive my gosh. <laughs> well, he's from Denmark, so maybe that's why.
0: <laughs> Adam has been leaving uh, uh, quote unquote clever acronyms on my MASH podcast. He's been coming up from MASH for every episode. So. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Uh, we got a comment from Joe X. He says, Nothing to say that hasn't already been said, so I'll just add that John K. Snyder 3 fans might want to, uh, that John K. Snyder 3 is the uh, modern age version. There was the golden age version, and there's a the silver age version, and there's the current version, which is John K. No. Snyder 3. <laughs> fans may want to look for his research. Recent adaptation of Lawrence Blox's eight mil Lawrence Blox's Blocks eight millions. Eight million ways to die. Um, Apparently, eight million yeah. ways to say it too. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, I've been. Seeing, I'm friends with uh, with John K. Now on Facebook, thanks to Shag, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've been meaning to check that out because, of course, we're both huge fans of John K. Snyder.
1: Yeah, I mean, everyone should be. He's so yeah. exceptional. Oh, you know, he did one of those classic Illustrateds. Uh, remember when they, they wrote Classic illustrates back in the '80s yeah, or '90s? Yeah, I
0: think I mentioned that at the the first listing. Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde
1: yeah, oh my gosh, it's so cool. All right. um we heard from Damien Whiter uh, or Witter. I'm not sure, and he says, I've been really enjoying the show and have managed to listen to all of the who's who's in slightly under a month. By the way, coincidentally, Damien's probably been checked into a mental institution, but anyway, Damien says, "Uh, I also plan plan to balance Shag's irredeemableness by notifying you of any hot male toddies. Uh, And then he says, gay pride. (laughs) Thank you, Damien. We need someone to balance me out. And Chris Lewis writes, hey, gay UK comic Fire & Water Podcast Network fan solidarity. Now, that's what I call a niche. Uh, Actually, Chris, I got to tell you, the Fire & Water Podcast Network has a very large number of listeners that are part of the LGBTQ community. So. Hey, you know, hey, you guys want to form a club? That's fine. But there's a lot of you out there. So uh, Damien goes on to say, uh, from his institution where he wrote to us, uh, he gives us his who's who origin story. He says, finding U.S. comics was always difficult in a small town where I was brought up in Harlow, and it required trips around town on my bike looking for comics and different news agents who would also have, uh, all, have all have different issues. I never saw who's who on any of those trips. Then one day, my mom... Not mom. Mom. I love that. Went to visit some friends in a nearby town called Hodgeson and I snuck off to the news agents with my pocket money and picked up Who's Who update 88 issue number four and Who's Who in the Legion of Superheroes number seven. I instantly fell in love. Over the next 30 years, I've managed to pick up all the other issues except for the Hawkman issue of the original series and issue number three of The Loose Leaf. Luckily, Shag and Rob have been uh, been able to plug my collection by their descriptions of those issues, but I still check out the loan boxes at every comic shop or convention I visit. One day. Aw. Damien, I hope you find those. That would be an awesome little uh, celebration for you yeah okay. And he says, uh, as for how my loose leaf is sorted, I initially had an alphabetical order within categories, so poor Adam Strange had gotten a little damage from sitting in the front for 28 years. You know That's what my cover to number one is. It's all ripped up because of that. And he says, I spent a fun hour recently resorting the entries into the order that they appeared on the cover so I can more easily keep pace with the show. First of all, that's awesome that you reordered it that way just to follow the show. That's really cool, Damien. And now I'm going to tell you you're a liar because you said you spent a fun hour doing that. There's no way, brother. I have resorted my border, my binders, and that is hours worth of work. There is no way you did that in an hour. Unless you have like a Barry Allen flash speed, I suppose. Um, And I hope you don't mind, Demon. It's your first time running in. I'm already taking digs at you. I hope you know, buddy. That's just the nature of the show. Then he goes on to say about Daxamites.
0: If he can can sort them all
1: in an hour, I'm sure he can listen to the show in a month.
0: He goes very fast. This is just...
1: (laughs) That's true. That's a good point. Uh, He says, Daxamites, I know I'm going to get hate mail, but I really don't like this era of Pat Broderick's work. There was always something rubbery and soft about it as he got more and more popular, and particularly after inking himself on Sunrunners, you could see this coming to the fore. Always preferred him with a slightly overpowered inker like uh on micronauts or rodriguez on firestorm or tengal on legion this is going to come as a shock damian i agree with you uh i think broderick was better when he had a strong anchor as well i i love pat he's a great guy i've communicated with a whole bunch but uh, there's something about a romeo tengal um inking or a, a Roden rodriguez over him or you, you said on micronauts that just elevates his work to even better so i, I would agree Uh, This next one I highlighted specifically just a jab at Rob, Uh, Larissa Malor, uh, because Rob loves the Legion so much. Because my first issue of the acronym Legion was her death issue. Alan Grant really could rip out your heart when he wanted to. I would heartily recommend the first 40 issues of that series. They were always interesting and often genius. Great entry. See, Rob? There you go. Take that.
0: Sandman, uh, he says, uh, phenomenal art. I agree that Bob Greenberger did a good job capturing the feel of dream. Can you imagine being asked to write in Game and Style? intimidating uh i also i also wanted to mention here and when uh, when damien wrote phenomenal art he misspelled phenomenal uh and i'm not i'm not here to chastise for that because i have spelling mistakes in my feedback all the time but the way could be the he, british spelling could uh, i don't think so but anyway <laughs> the way he spelled it is p-h-e-n-o-m-e-n-o-l so it's, so it reads like phenomenal and my mind started to wander and i'm like phenomenal is totally the drug that a hour man villain would create. So he would have our man's powers. Phenomenal. That was what he would do. And he'd be like, of course it would slowly drive him mad and he would turn into like a Mr. Hyde character and stuff like that. But that's just, I saw that word phenomenal and I'm like, "That's, that's totally okay. I don't think our man ever had like a regular villain, but that would be the guy. He would be just like with this drug, I shall match our man's powers. So that's my whole thing.
1: So. There you go, Damon. You're you're inspiring a whole new comic book series. Perfect. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, then about Son of Vulcan. This is interesting. I never heard this. So Son of Vulcan, we, we wondered why he was in the last issue. We're like, what the hell? Now, a lot of people have mentioned he was in there because of War of the Gods. All right. And we didn't pick up on that, that War of the Gods was coming. But he says here. I'm sure he got an entry because War of the Gods was in the planning stages. Supposedly, it got delayed in part because Karen Berger's maternity leave coincided when the contracts needed approval. And Perez couldn't work on War of the Gods until the contracts were finalized, which is why when it eventually happened, it came out at the same time as Infinity Gauntlet. Under the original plans, Perez should have finished it before he started working for Marvel. I had no idea. That's crazy. Yeah, news to me. And then Damien's last line is, "Can I finish by asking if Shag is fully well, uh, fully aware of the implications of his nickname in British slang?" Yes, yes, I am. It says it really makes us sound as though uh, his wife is a very unlucky woman. And I read this comment to my wife, and her response was, "No, she's a very lucky woman." So there you go. She really say that? Yes, yeah, she did. I promise. I don't make that up. She's, I don't make up stuff. She about lives it. in Canada. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> in fact, you know, um, Chris Franklin's actually spoken to her. He's the only person on the network who's ever talked to her. So uh, Mike Atchison uh, wrote in to say, in response – this is – this is I, I found this fascinating. Uh, it's fairly lengthy. I, I'm only piecemealing some of it. It says, in response to Ward Hill Terry's comment in, in Who's Who in the DC Universe number four episode regarding Phantom Lady and your resultant request for more information on the ownership of the character – because we we did speculate how – her various appearances in the, in the different companies. It just so happens that yesterday, I bought a copy of Phantom Lady number no. 2, dated February to March 1955. And he goes on to say, the whole transition of ownership from Quality to Fox to Feral is a tangled mess. But essentially, the Eisner and Iger studio created the character for Quality back in 1941. Quality stopped publishing her for stories in police comics in 1948. So Eisner and Iger, believing it owned the rights to the character, sent her off to Fox Feature Syndicate. This is when Matt Baker Good girl rendition of Phantom Lady made her popular, you might say, and uh, caught the attention of Dr. One, Frederick Wortham. Shortly thereafter, she and the rights to her went back to the comic character limbo until Ajax Farrell published four issues of the second Phantom Lady title, where she maintains the Sandra Knight alter ego, but wears a notably more conservative costume at least in issue number two, which I now own. So the answer to Ward's question about whether this, this is the same character as the quality police comics and the Fox Phantom Lady is yes. It's very detailed, very lengthy, but it really does explain why the back and forth of Phantom Lady. Very interesting. Then we heard from Noah Tarno, and uh, he's got a podcast now called I Don't Get It, the Pop Culture Off My Lawn Cast, <laughs> which you can find at idontgetitpodcast.com. Noah wrote in to say about the Batmobile, he says, the late, great Norm Fogel will always be my Batman artist number one, partly because he was drawing the character during my formative years as a Bat fan, but also because I found his style to be perfectly tuned to the character, rooted in realism enough to make it resonate, but with the right amount of gothic flourishes to suit the DC universe. I spent a couple Of weeks after his death, rereading some of his work, and dear Lord, absolutely no one drew a better scene of Batman kicking ass. You know, Noah, uh, I gotta agree. uh, Norm Brayfogle is my Batman artist as well. Absolutely love him. That was when I fell in love with Batman. Right after the, right around the time of the '89 movie. So I'm there with you, buddy. Regarding Chemo, he says, "I like the character. I like Mignola, but this
0: drawing doesn't work for me. Why is Chemo squeezing his hands together? He looks like Andre the Giant threatening to choke Hulk Hogan.
1: (laughs) And." No, you're, so you're saying that's a good thing? Yeah, I, oh, I, go I'm ahead.
0: understanding your point now.
1: <laughs> nice uh, Then we heard from everybody, Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians And Podca- Podcast of La Vista, baby uh, Mike writes in, he goes Norm Braveheart's Batmobile always looked like a bit like a Transformers to me One that would change into a 90s Azrael Bat costume <laughs> That's
0: pretty fair uh, Jeff Tischer wrote in, he says Hearing Rob talk about the comics he blocked blacks for Reminds me of some of the comics I did that too for To Ooh. help out Mark, Mark Lipka I was a little later on, but I got to help out on Star Wars, the first Kitty Mundy story, Aliens v. Predator, Joker Last Laugh, Swamp Thing, the Tefe Holland run, Green Lantern Circle of Fire, Harley Quinn, and a few others. It was always a lot of fun. Sadly, Mark is no longer inking comics, having moved on to other things. I miss the late nights watching This is Spinal Top while
1: filling in blacks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's great. Uh he corrects us about our man. We talked about the purple costume, which we said came later, but actually this purple costume came first. He adapted or he adopted his dad's costume after he went to limbo, uh where his dad went off to limbo to fight in Ragnarok. Did I we, completely forgot that. Did we, did we, did about we that.
0: say otherwise? I didn't think that we said that I think I
1: did. Okay. I think I did. Yeah. All so, right. I'll, I'll cop to that. Uh, then he says about Solomon Grundy, and this amazed me. In a pure coincidence, that I was out with a group of non-comic friends last night, and Solomon Grundy came up. Somehow, the old nursery rhyme came up, and that led to a discussion about the character, which then led to him wanting pants. Um, good times. I can't believe anyone outside of comic fans know that nursery rhyme nowadays. I thought that was, you know, it disappeared out of consciousness in the '40s, like uh, wilted lettuce. Like no one remembers it anymore. It's just an old country thing. I <laughs> do What, do you people eat Wilted Lettuce of North? I don't think you do. No one does. (laughs) Uh, Then Chris Lewis wrote in to say, The the Extremists, this entry is a chef's kiss. JLE was right in my sweet spot as I started reading comics in the early 1990s, and this story was a particular JLE highlight for me. I knew about the link of the team to the villains of the Marvelous Competition. I always wondered if the interlocking Ds on Dr. Diehard's chest was another hint to the source material, what with it being a uh, big old ripoff of Daredevil's logo. Uh, that's a good point Chris They may be And i still beaten myself over the head For never realizing these were Marvel characters Until just a couple years ago says about our man. Matt Wagner's art is awesome on this entry. I love the blocky colors and stylized cape folds. There's a feeling of genuine power that radiates from this character before in a way that the purple costume can't hope to replicate. I know him best from the 2000s GSA book, and I, too, loved the later Android Hourman Man book. Oh, again, I can't say enough good things about the Android Hourman Man book. So, so, so good. Uh, they were heard from my buddy Tim Price. Tim says there's so many great covers, uh, I mean pages, that's him poking like <laughs> home covers. Uh, in this issue, it's, uh, it'd almost be easier to say which ones I don't like, but that goes against Find Your Joy, so I won't actually do that. Awesome. It's good to hear from you, Tim. Thanks, buddy. Then we heard from Philemon, folks. We love Philemon. Philemon uh, usually says the opposite of what makes the most sense in the world. So uh, so excited to hear. And by the way, if you don't know Philemon, he uh, hosts the Jericho Fan Club, which is down in a treehouse uh, on the corner of uh, Rose and Grant Avenue. And again, I, no one wrote in to say that they got that joke last time, so we'll see if anyone did. Michael Bailey told me offline he did get the joke, so... Michael Bailey's smarter than all of you. Anyway, Philemon says, I did reread "Sigh: The Titans Hunt, and at the risk of writing a manifesto that would make Diablo Frank say, dude, learn to be more concise. I will summarize by saying it still sucks. I will grudgingly agree agree with Shag that it's better than the Titans issues that preceded that, but that's a pretty low bar. Fair enough, Philemon. Uh, I still like Titans Hunt, so there. Then he writes out about chemo, or chemo. He says, uh, am I the... This is wonderful. I love this. I can't believe no one thought of this. And I'm giving uh, Philemon props here, everybody. Uh, He says, am I the only one who thinks there's a missed merchandising opportunity here? I would use the heck out of a plastic or glass chemo cup that could double as an action figure. I know it's a long shot, but I did get a Starro sleep mask in my latest World's Finest subscription box. So there has to be some market for obscurish supervillain products. First of all, the idea of chemo as like a Slurpee cup is brilliant. Yeah, I love that. Genius. I, I can see the green malted plastic with like the bubbles in the plastic. would, would be great. And then they actually made a Starro sleep mask. I can't believe that's a thing. That is so cool. Uh, then he writes in about Cyborg and this is interesting because Rob is not wrong about the advances in prosthetics but I'm not sure there's a need to be any changes to the character that make him relevant the issue is never that Vic was Frankenstein but that Vic perceived himself as Frankenstein in some ways this is what made him so relatable as a teenager the near obsession with what other people were thinking about him I can't tell you how often as a teacher I have students who come and complain to me when I change the seating chart and they're forced to sit towards the front of the room nine out of time nine out of ten times when I talk to the kid. It comes down to the fact that they're absolutely convinced that the kids behind them will be watching and judging them, trying to convince them that everyone else is too focused on their own junk to even notice that pimple on the back of their neck, or that you're wearing last year's Jordans is just a lost cause. I feel this issue is magnified when you add the racial aspect of the equation. Vic Stone, well before the accident, was hyper aware of every judgmental set of white eyes on him, and when he walked through the mall or went for a burger at Big Bellies, how much worse? How much worse was it now for him? him that he looks abnormal wow i mean that's really deep i never thought about that and and i have a kid who's in middle school myself and a a stepson who's in college and just the idea that these kids and and we used to experience this you know you're always worried about what other kids think and put that on a teenager put them in a a, you know robotic body and wow yeah that's really deep again I'm huge props to Philemon for that I never would have thought of that so thank you for sharing that perspective as a teacher thank you Philemon up next is uh, Iced D he says I love that name he says I was thinking about your discussion over Cyborg and how it's not unusual to see people with prosthetic limbs anymore I know old fans don't tend to like the recent Teen Titans anime-style cartoons, but Cyborg's half-machine status is never treated as a disfigurement on either of the Teen Titans or Teen Titans Go. It's certainly a different take on the character, and an entire generation of kids has never known any other version. That's interesting. I never thought about that. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. All right, folks, this is the part of the show where we thank everyone for sharing uh, the show on their social media timeline. Again, this is where Facebook and Twitter do get mentioned, so uh, I know it's, I say it every time. It sounds like a long list of names reading out of a phone book except for the weird Twitter handles, uh, but we want to recognize each person that helps promote the show. Thank you guys so much. Seriously. Each and every one of you folks are an important part of the Who's Who community. You're, you're helping to raise the profile of the show. You're helping new people find the show. I mean, think about how many new people we had wrote in just this month alone. So thank you so much to the following people. Thank you to Aaron Head Moss, Adam Ackerman, Adam Stembelli, Al Gerding, Alexander Osias, All New Sucks, BGSU Batman Conference, Bonnie Normant, Bud Winkle, Chris Franklin, Chris Lewis, Chuck Rodriguez, Coffee and Comics Podcast, Dr. Ange, Dylan Knows, Gord Tolton. I don't, I don't even know how to say Good luck it. with this one. Yeah uh, Haydens of Zur and R. I think someone's having fun with the Twitter handle. Herman Lowe, Jeff Hunter, Jeffrey Brown, Justice Trek twenty nineteen, Kaz Cax Earl, Keachie Baker, Kobe One Kenobi. That's pretty funny. Uh Con L. Laurel Mountainflower one, Legion of Superbloggers,
0: Leslie Trigg the third, Logan Webster, Luke Dobb, Mark Lax, Matthias McBride, Max Romero, also a Mirror factor and it's plastic man. Michael O'Brien, Michelle Fife, Nathaniel Devon Sanford, Ocean Master at Kyle Beyond, Paper Heroes, Paul Kian, Pop Culture Affidavit, Quill Pen 2019, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, also known as Rad Adventures, Trucker Talk, and Xenozoic Xenophiles, Reggie Reggie, Richard Field, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ryan Daly, Scott X, Sherlock 28, Siskoid, Slang World Scott, The 108th Sage, The January Man, Tim Price, Tomas Corsi, Willie Yarborough, Zoom Yukinori, and Zach. Oof.
1: Thank you everybody Please, again, get out on the social medias Share the show, share your love of it We want your comments uh, Rob, where can they leave their comments? Fireandwaterpodcast.com And they can see some of the images from this issue at that same location That's going to do it folks Thank you so much Rob, I can't believe it This show was only five hours We uh, we did pretty good this time, right? <laughs> when when you don't know anything
0: about the entries The show tends to go fast
1: uh, I like this issue, I think it was a good issue so. I didn't All say right, that folks. it wasn't <laughs> Rob hates everything. Anyway, folks, that's going to do it. (laughs) It all fell apart at the end. Until next time, folks. Who's who's next? next?
0: Aquaman and Superman,
1: Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man are all these people, man. They're all part of the D.C. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Mr. Gold, Lightning
0: Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Ettrick and Arisia and Woozie Weeks. Hey, hey, hey.
1: What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the D.C. Who's who? Who's who?
0: Oh man, we forgot Slipknot.
1: My vision is not what it used to be. That's why I eat baby
0: root. It's got all the energy in there to put me right back at the top of my game.
1: Your rival Lion Mane says that's cheating. Cheating? <laughs> he said that? How did he sound? Was he mad?
0: Baby root from Nestle. This baby gets you going.